Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome along to this director's commentary for Southland Tales, written and directed by myself, Richard Kelly. I am joined for this commentary by one of uh, hardworking producers and a close personal friend of mine, Bo Hyde. Bo, how are you doing? It's great to be here. Really great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for making the time, Bo. Uh so it's been a while since either of us have revisited this film. Of course, I'd say nine eleven years uh, since nine I... eleven years, and what an appropriate way to remember this uh, this tragedy of a film. Easy now. Uh, I think what people really want from us is a is a an exclusive sort of behind the scenes tale of of what went into the production and, and what made the film so unique in tone and execution. Um, so to start things off, I guess. It's important that people get a little bit of bit of context about where I was coming from when I when I wrote this movie. Um, I was coming from a pretty serious drug binge, as it happens. Uh, and Bo, you pulled me out of the spiral. Yeah, and I think it's pretty evident on film um, what you were going through uh, for this movie. A lot of people kind of misinterpreted the film as being. I heard it described as a uh, comedy thriller sci fi apocalypse movie. Um, which in many ways, if you take it literally, it is. But really, this is a everything's a metaphor uh, you know, in the film. Bo, um, right? Isn't that right? Well, Richard? the thing is, it is it is all of those things, and it is. And when I set out to make the movie, I did want it to be all of those things. I wanted to take all of the genres. Can I take my shoes off in this? Yeah, book? yeah, yeah. Of okay? course, please. I uh, just I feel we like will... this movie is uh, very long from yeah, memory. yeah. I mean, we'll both pay the pay the price of uh, your shoes coming off. Now, are we watching throughout the record the Cannes edit, or is this the uh, no? This the so this edit? is uh, yeah. As you well know, this this film debuted at Cannes in two thousand and six and was reviled by critics. Uh, it was probably one of the most upsetting and comprehensive takedowns of a piece of cinema I've ever been around or near. It's a long and, way uh, from Donnie Darko. That's we took out fourteen minutes. In the hopes of uh, giving it a successful theatrical release, and I got to say, those fourteen minutes, uh, in hindsight, I would have put them back in. They were the glue that made this movie accessible to people wanting to watch it. And it's also just like when you get the end result, which is a complete financial failure. Wouldn't you rather just have had it your way the entire time? 
the, you just don't know, Bo. And I, I remember it was actually you leaning on me pretty hard to take out those 14 minutes. So it, it seemed pretty mean-spirited for you to then uh, rub my face in that. Look, let's uh, let's get into this movie. Um, there's more than enough time for us to explore our interpersonal machinations uh, over the years. I'd call it dredging rather than exploring. So what we've got here is um, it actually looks very much like a DVD menu screen. Uh, and really the purpose of this is twofold. Number one, we needed to get a lot of sponsors, logos on the screen at once. So you can see to the right, we've got Panasonic, Bud Light and Hustler um, present who in some ways were the most important producers of all in this film, ensuring that we they got were, our $16 million right. dollar budget on time. Uh, they were very, very supportive, very generous. They were the first people we approached, the only people we approached. Um, they came through for us. They absolutely came through for us. The other reason that we used this sort of DVD menu interface layout is they were all the rage in 2006. We didn't see the technology changing. No. We wanted to make a movie that was timeless, that would age well. Mm. And, um, we thought everyone would just get to the DVD age and then kind of stop. I mean, when is it going to be enough? When will people realize that we don't need a, a crisper picture? You know, D- DVD quality cinema, uh, both in terms of as a as an as a director and as an audience member, is mm. satisfactory to me. I don't need a crisper picture. What are you good with? Where, where did it get to you where you were like, you know what, I'm fine? VHS? I was actually pretty DVD? happy with VHS. That's v- right. <laughs> Uh, and then I eventually, after you know, it took a lot of persuasion. I got talked around mm. to to buying into DVD, and mm-hmm. then by the time I was finally on board with that, Blu-ray came along, and I was understandably furious. Oh, so. and you, you and me both. I yeah. mean, there you go. You finally complete your final box set of the James Bond series. You're up to twenty three, and then guess what, folks? There's another four. I, I bought every single movie in HD DVD. Boy, was my face red. Well. The thing is, we're still working through that backlog of movies, aren't we? We, we, Bo and I made an agreement uh, on the upon the release of Blu-ray and other digital forms of uh, release and streaming that we would not watch anything that does not get a DVD release. And it's it's been really, really hard to keep our finger on the pulse with regards to pop culture. Yeah, it's quite limiting for modern movies. Hey, I think we're doing a disservice by ignoring everything that's happening on screen. This is all non-essential stuff. Well, I I'm, I know that you wrote and directed the film, Richard, but I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback there because we managed to shoehorn in a almost absurd amount of plot uh, in the opening three minutes of this film during the DVD menu screen. That's right. And um, we... Just to bring you up to speed roughly, if I remember no, you, you're remembering right. it right. We got a World lot. Of, three. We got a lot of stars in, uh, and we had it. We we what we wanted was a plot for every star, and we yeah. we signed up upwards of ten stars for this movie. So there's up to ten plots operating simultaneously. Do you want to give a little name check and who we've got uh, to look uh, forward look, to? To look forward to grace your screens. Obviously, Justin Timberlake right now, a fantastic pop star and actor who was uh, he was a real devil on the set. He's a devil with the ladies. Uh, there's Dwayne The Rock he Johnson. Was really at the peak of his powers when we were filming this too, right? 2006 was a big year for Hot JT. Commodity. That's right, yeah. Was this his downfall? We'll never know. I, I think he's... Uh, I haven't seen or listened to anything. He's only, he hasn't done a DVD release or a, or a CD release for a while, but I understand he's doing pretty well. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, also a huge get for us as he was transitioning from being a wrestling star to a movie star. Now, interesting fact about him, working with him on set, he developed a nervous tick, which we couldn't get him to stop doing while we were rolling, which you will 
absolutely notice in the film if you see it. Yeah. Whereby he clasps his hands into a Montgomery Burns-esque uh, tapping motion betwixt his fingers. And uh, it's distracting. It's tonally off for the film. And I'm not sure it's, it's in there, how though. to make him stop doing it. Well, and that was one of our challenges on set every time. But alas, it wasn't to be. I just want people to know... As we as we walk you through this movie, uh, if you're struggling to keep up with any elements of the plot or you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, that's fine. That's normal. Don't worry about it. Everything will be resolved at the end, okay? It doesn't matter how many balls we have in the air. We catch all the balls at the end of the movie. You're in safe hands. You, you are, are watching an impressive feat of juggling at Cirque du Soleil, folks. We are dealing with Richard Kelly. Basically, thank you. thank you. This is why I love you. The most skillful juggler there is. So let, let's keep cramming through those stars. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer herself is in this She film. does not like it when you call her that on set. <laughs> no, she does not. I found that out the hard way. And she still carries a lot of props from her Buffy days with her. Yeah, which I think is probably why it's confusing and frustrating. Mm. Uh, she hates being called Buffy, but if you call her Buffy, she will use some of her skills yeah, and, and props from the, mm. the Buffy set to... To issue retribution. Uh, we also had John Larroquette, uh, the late John Larroquette. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying that correctly. John Lovitz. John Lovitz. Is in this film oh, that was, for, of Grown Ups 2 fame. That's right. Uh, he, he has, I understand, gone on to star in a movie called Grown Ups 2. One I haven't, haven't got to see, unfortunately, as I've yet to get my hands on a DVD copy of, but I, I hear... Truly uh, incredible things. Sherry O'Terry, who's a close personal friend of mine. Of Grown Ups 2 fame. That's also, yep, that's right. That's another um, another Grown Ups 2 star. Amy Poehler is in this film. I'm just going to press pause on the roll call, uh, Richard, while yeah. we just have a look at what's happening on screen. So basically what you've tried to do is enact your own vision of the, the NSA, which uh, according to you... It's a laboratory of computers and people sitting at computers and they're wearing ponchos to indicate that it's they're part Also, of the there's another important detail apparatus. that I feel gets skimmed over. Uh, it certainly got skimmed over in reviews of the film. They're wearing singlets under the ponchos. Um, so that's, that's sleeveless. T- if you don't know what a singlet is, it's a sleeveless T-shirt. Uh, and that was a very important detail that, that was very clear in the Khan edit. Yeah. But the cinema release in, yeah. in those 14 minutes, that got taken out. Got a bit lost, didn't it? It did get a bit lost. Uh, to continue the, the cavalcade of stars we have on display for you today, Wallace Shawn, uh, he's got a fantastic voice and a fantastic attitude. He was a very cheery presence on the set, even in some of the down days. We've got Mandy Moore, pop oh. sensation Mandy Moore, a fine actor if ever there was one. Yeah, and a, and a very fine singer. I actually understand she went on to do some great work in the uh, animated film Tangled, uh, a, a set in the, the universe of Rapunzel, uh, a movie, unfortunately, I haven't got to see. No DVD for No that. DVD release yeah. of that. Sean William Scott, uh, who didn't break character as Stifler at all when he was off camera, and then when he was shooting would refuse to go back into character as Stifler. Very confusing guy to work with, but uh, certainly brought a lot of energy, a lot of heat. It was an incredible thing to work with because everyone on set was a huge American Pie fan. Massive. We were dealing with Stifler right up until that slate came down and the word action was called. And then he would just drop into this uh, quite morose, uh, introverted, time-traveling cop character. We'll get into that later. Can I tell you this? Time cop. I remember, as you will too, auditioning Sean William Scott. And he came and I said, I will see Sean now. And no one came through. 
I said, uh, I said to our assistant producer, could we, could we get Sean in the room, can, please? Can Mr. William Scott, please? And come no one, no us. one came into the room. Uh, and then I said, the guy played Stifler, and uh, uh, upon hearing Stifler, he just he charged through the room. And he said, "Fuckers, fuckers, fuckers!" And he immediately he sexually assaulted one of the the camera assists who was in the room, just helping with the audition process. It's disgusting. And as soon as we got that camera rolling, though, on a on the drop of a hat, absolutely, just like that, suddenly this beautiful, touching performance, very nuanced. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was certainly an interesting, interesting guy. Now, um. What we're seeing on screen at the moment is a gentleman who we sort of get to know a little bit later on in the film, well, if memory serves. One of but the... he's watching TV and he's hearing uh, a, a character whose name escapes me in the instant that we're watching this right now. But he is, I think, known as the Baron later on. Uh, no, he's not. He's not the Baron. Oh, God. he's a he, now. And this frustrated me because you couldn't okay. really get a handle on the characters when we were shooting. <laughs> and if you can't do it, then I mean, how are you going to do it? Now I feel like I've just seen it as well. Which yeah, is weird, weird feeling. It's, it's a familiar feeling for me. I love. So, this do you movie remember what his name was? Who makes the infinite no, energy I don't, machine? And this is something that I learned on set. I mean, we were all learning a lot on set. Is that more characters does not make for more comprehensive closure with regards to plot? I think when you're juggling, it's good to have balls in the air, and yes. it's tempting to add more balls yes. in the air. And that, that's going to create a very stressful environment wherein you, you muddle a lot of the actors' names, you frustrate a lot of people, you step on a lot of toes. So we've got uh, kind of your vision of an Elon-esque, uh, Elon Musk-esque character mm. um, played by the, the gentleman from uh, Princess Bride. Wallace Shawn, absolutely. Wallace Shawn, very distinctive voice. And he's he's talking about, he's basically created a perpetual motion machine, hasn't he? Which seemingly breaks I, the laws I mean, of physics. Yeah. Somehow harnessing the power of the ocean's currents. And he just says the word entanglement and quantum physics a couple of times. And you thought that would probably suffice as, a, as an explanation. Look, people don't like to be pandered to. It's show, don't tell. Show them. It's possible. The words mm. don't tell them what the words mean, and that's something that we—a rule that we followed pretty, pretty closely throughout this. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character in this film is uh, sort of an entrepreneurial porn star who's transitioning into becoming a, a all-around-the-clock superstar slash kidnapper. Yes, she is somehow involved in this uh, this kidnapping plot. Um, of course, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character, who's known as, I mean, we had a lot of fun coming up with different character names. Boxer Santeros. Uh, so, Boxer and Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, whose name is Krista. Krista, Krista um, now. Yeah. You really uh, took the afternoon off when you thought of that one in the morning, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, they've they've written a, a film script together. Yeah. In the, in the week since he's been recovered I, from the I desert. I just want to make clear for everyone, what Richard's about to tell you is 100% the film. Uh, yeah. j- just, to, just to hammer right. home the truth of so, what he's about to lay on you. Uh, Boxer, has he's been abducted and gone missing in the desert in Nevada. He's recovered a week later with amnesia. All of this, the US intelligence is searching for him. Because his background is that he is a darling of the He's, a, he's got party? no. He's got Republican ties. Come oh, on, come on. Okay, I'm every sorry. time he's got Republican ties, he's dating the daughter of the presumptive Republican nominee for president. 
whose wife is the two I see at the NSA. That is correct. Or US ident. Look, we wanted to create rich, strong, and textured characters, so we gave all of them very important jobs mm-hmm. and then decided that they were all connected to each other. Did that work? <laughs> I think the box office numbers speak for themselves. Uh, but pretty much they've written this movie, um, and as you will hear, Justin Timberlake, he was a saviour, by the way. We got him for one extra day at the end of shooting. We said, Justin, please, just for our sake and maybe the sake of the audience, we don't know if we're going to use this, could you do a voiceover of the whole movie explaining anything that might seem confusing or misguided? And he was... He took it to heart. He ended up um, uh, recording a director's commentary-esque track, which was just basically him narrating the background of what we intended to show on screen, yeah. but maybe it wasn't explicit to the but stupid bourgeoisie American audiences who came to this and film. As, as always, you guys, as, I, as I've said already in this director's commentary, please... Don't be worried if you can't keep up with the plot. Don't You're be worried if you can't keep up with the characters. This movie is for everyone, mostly intelligent people, also for you. That's why we've got Justin Timberlake's voiceover throughout. Yeah, but if you don't get it, you're a silly moron person who doesn't appreciate That's art right. or vision, uh, which, according to the box office numbers, would be most of America and the world. A lot of people aren't ready. We uh, certainly try to make a lot of money back on the DVD market. Uh, and the timing couldn't have been much worse. 2007, big transitioning year for DVDs. Huge. Um, uh, PlayStation 3 was just coming out, had a built-in Blu-ray player. It was not good for us. We hedged our bets a little bit and put the uh, soundtrack out, composed by Moby, on HD DVD. Uh, unfortunately... That war had already been lost as well. Now, Moby, that is, he's a buzzy little fucker, that guy, isn't he? <laughs> isn't he? Isn't he a, a he, little ball of energy? He would on stand set. on set just out of frame and do what he told us the score was going to be just with his mouth yeah. whenever we were shooting. Whenever we were shooting, Moby would be there. He'd open up his mouth and go, wah, wah, wah. I've never seen anything like it. Well, it's highly. It's how I imagine. Leonardo da Vinci worked, whereby he would get an idea and he had to scribble it in backwards in one of his notebooks if Dan Brown is to be believed. Yeah. Moby's kind of like that. He's a savant. He's a genius. If he's there and an idea strikes him, he needs to get it out. And all he has is his mouth to do that. Yeah. He's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because at at the same time, he's so professional, yet so unprofessional. It's professional in that he, he literally cannot stop creating and working and unprofessional in that he has no respect for what's happening around him and is a seriously disruptive force on set. I, I mean, mean the, the biggest problem I think we had was that he kept uh, live composing with his mouth while we were shooting scenes, yeah, which became exactly. very tricky in the post, exactly. uh, post-audio edit to we said, try and mask Is there any bit. way you could do these in a, a recording booth? Maybe you could use some instruments or some computer software. And he's, and that's funny you mentioned Leonardo da Vinci because that's exactly what he said. He said, would you, would, if you could go back in time and watch Leonardo da Vinci work, would you tell him to paint with a rock? And uh, I said, no, no, Moby, that's that's not what I do. And he said, well, that's what you're telling me to do. You're telling me to paint with a rock. Just to catch a run up on uh, where we're at in the film so far, if I may attempt such a hey, no, please, by all bold means. call to action. We've covered a lot of ground, people. Um, the intro three-minute DVD menu explains that World War Three is about to break out. Uh, there's a lot of civil unrest. Uh, we've got a bunch of pseudo-terrorists who identify as the neo-Marxists. 
which I'm glad that you put in the movie, follow the teachings of Karl Marx, just for the fucking plebeian American audience Look, who didn't you, pick that up on first there's blush. There's so many different variations of uh, people with the surname Marx who have had a similar cultural impact mm. as Karl Marx. That's and true. I, I don't want to risk any of those other Marxes whose names I will not list for they are many mm. and well known. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't want to risk that. Maybe five. Maybe yeah. we'll just do the top five Marx. The top five marks that aren't Karl Marx, Sean Marks, uh, GM of the Brooklyn Nets, former basketball player for the Miami Heat, the first New Zealand basketball player to make it in the NBA. Uh, Different spelling, yes, same pronunciation, very popular in America. What was his ideology all about? Uh, He's kind of about building from the ground up within the team. Uh, He's from the San Antonio Spurs School of Front Office Management, so he's worked with Greg Popovich. He knows how to build a championship contender. He knows how to build a winner. But um, he's having a little bit of trouble right now. He's, funnily enough, actually, Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets are funded by, I believe his name is Mikhail Prokhorov, a very prominent Russian billionaire. I was going to say, that is the most American surname I've ever heard in my life. uh, So it's, it's funny how the world... You know, comes full circle sometimes. But certainly, um, my heart and best wishes go out to Sean Marks and the Brooklyn Nets uh, during this difficult rebuilding phase. And number four? Oh, the, the fourth most famous Marks, of course, is Kerry Marks, uh, a UK comedian, very popular on the circuit, very funny guy. Great live show. Uh, great live show. Hard worker, too. And one of the sharpest joke writers, I'd say, on the scene at the moment. Um, I ran into him recently. Uh, in a, in a dive bar in Perth, Western Australia. Great guy. Always a pleasure to see him. My understanding is that he wants to overthrow capitalism and replace it with a system where we are trading underpants with each other as a form of currency. Yeah, he's got a few pretty zany ideas, uh, and that's probably why he's only the fourth most prominent Marx. And who sits on the shoulders of that giant? Uh, so glad you asked, Bo. Uh, it's a real pleasure rifling through the famous Marxists or Marxes with you. I mean, you've got to say the Marx brothers, really, mm. in, in two and three. Stalwarts and uh, creators of whole genres of comedy, really. Yeah. Uh, pioneers in slapstick. Yeah. Uh, innovators of comedy on screen. Yes. And... Really, I think um, much more important than than Karl Marx in well, a lot of ways. Not for us to say, but uh, certainly Karl Marx does sit atop that list. But just to avoid confusion, hey, as- just to hit pause on this as well, did we ever get back to explaining outside of the can edit why our friend Stifler is looking in a mirror and there's a huge delay for his uh, reflection? Yeah, we did, and. I'd love to explain that for everyone now because that did seem to cause a lot of confusion with a lot of viewers. The reason that happened is the camera was playing up. Oh, no. Yeah. So he just ad-libbed that line where he notices that well, his reflection he, he is had slow. to. And the incredible thing is because he couldn't see the camera footage, yeah. his reflection was actually moving in real time at the same time as his body. So he somehow sensed that the camera was glitching. And said, my reflection is lagging. Fuck, he's incredible. Casting him as a cop was a bold call, Mm. I think. Um, 
Well, there's a lot of bold calls in this movie, really. Whenever you're playing around with interdimensional transportation and time warps and... Uh... It's funny. The science fiction genre gives and takes. What it gives is a lot of scope for experimentation, uh, the opportunity to maybe cut corners, uh, take leaps of logic that you, you, you're beholden to if you're, if you're in a movie that's set in the present day real world. And yet what it takes is a steady hand and a clever mind to yeah. pull it off. And if, if, if you're lacking those, what it, what it takes away is a sense of coherence, closure, form, purpose... Uh, and a lot of other things that, thankfully, I haven't had to experience as a filmmaker because I do have a steady hand and I'm a very controlled filmmaker. Um, for those of you just just catching up and not actually hearing the audio of what's happening on screen, you've you've missed an awful lot of movies yeah. so far. Where we're at right now, just to give you a little snapshot, we're in Krista now, the uh, porn star played by Sir Michelle Gellar's house. Boxer is pitching his movie script, which he has co-written with her to Stifler. Yeah, so he is. And Stifler is... A, a, he's a cop on the beat, and Boxer is wanting to have a ride-along with him to kind of gain... Well, so, similar to how Simon Pegg did with Hot yeah, Fuzz. Yeah, but the thing is that Stifler isn't actually a cop on the beat. He's a, He's been drugged by the Marxists to impersonate his twin brother, who is a cop on the beat, to take Boxer on a ride-along yes. in the hopes of capturing footage of boxer in a compromising situation that they can then extort and blackmail the republican nominee and but are uh, they also not simultaneously trying to set stifler up to look like a racist cop because they brainwash him to say a bunch of racist stuff and then shoot they the the reason that they need stifler to be a racist cop is to draw uh racism and bad decision making out of boxer ah I did not pick that up when we were making this film. Such like, a rich tapestry you've laid bare for us, Richard. Yeah. If you if you miss how out, did you? I I have never meant these words more than I mean them right now. How did you come up with this? Well, as I said, I was on the tail end of a pretty serious drug binge when you you came up to me and you said, uh, "Look, it's been five years since Donnie Darko," and I said, "Yep." And you said, that's quite a long time. I said, really, it doesn't feel like that long a time. Things are fine. I'm doing a lot of drugs. I'm writing a lot of stuff down. <laughs> yeah. And you said, what kind of stuff? And I said, well, I'll show you. And I showed you a pin board that was roughly 10 by 10 meters. That was full of sort of different ideas, different characters, different pictures of celebrities. I said, this is my masterpiece. Yeah. There was a lot of string connecting yeah. the various pictures and notes that you had well, written. Well, and you, you took that string. You said that you, there was a string short, and you took all that string out. And I feel if you'd kept it on the board, maybe this would the, work a bit better. the plot of the movie would be slightly more interconnected than it is. But uh, pretty much it was when you came in and you, you started taking photos and taking the string out, uh, and you said, we're making this movie, that I, I realized it probably was time to pull my socks up and get back to work. Mm. And, I couldn't um, get you out of that room. No. You were I, just so in the groove of was, coming up with another character name, another plot line, an additional government agency that we could add to the film. It's difficult. Another um, pseudo-scientific concept I mean, that we could play with in You there. understand the creative process better than anyone I know, better than anyone I've worked with. And 
when you're alone with your ideas, it can be difficult to know when they're finished, when to take something out, when to put something in. And I guess that's my job as a producer to lay the hammer down at some point and say, do you know what? Four. Four is enough pseudoscientific concepts to play with. 18 characters is enough, especially when you've given half of the cast two names. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on. I mean, I can understand why this didn't perform well at the box office. Am I angry about it? Yes, I am, because my success financially is directly tied to the success of the film. Could I see it coming? No. Uh, I'll put my hand on my heart, and I thought we had this stitched up by getting Moby to compose the soundtrack. I mean, Mm. I just thought that would work, you know? I thought that would probably patch over the little potholes we had in here. Uh, yeah, as it turns out, it would have taken quite a large amount of industrial cement and uh, a, a huge army of road workers to fill in all the potholes that are strewn throughout the film. But I mean, they've just dropped the N word on screen a few times in an exchange between Stifler and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which is, I mean, it was ambitious, heady, and I would say ill advised. I just suddenly had a memory. I believe that these two are. Uh, Separate yes. from this co-star, and you, you did right. Uh, the jungle. Uh, welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. Did you see that? I couldn't get my hands on a DVD, so I unfortunately haven't. But I'd love to know if you have, because I'm very curious about how that was. They're both very charismatic performers. Can't say I've seen it. Saw a lot of the posters though. They had yeah. a great poster campaign. Very prominent. Maybe that's what we did wrong. Not enough posters. Not enough posters out there. Well, I was surprised. People buy DVDs when they see the poster when of the film. When you called me up and said, uh, we've got to do this director's commentary for promotional reasons, mm. I forgot this movie even existed. I, it really slipped under the radar. I had no idea. I mean, we did make it 10 years ago now. but The fact so. that anyone uh, would want this or choose for this product to exist is... Truly a testament to a deep dive through some interesting corners of the internet. And now, the- just to give everyone who maybe the TV's gone out on your end or something a visual reference, we're still in the cop car, and now we're um, exploring a confusing maybe metaphor, Richard, you could clean this up, about a baby not shitting for a few days, which I think is a conversation well, that- which then gets mirrored by Terry O'Sherry later on when she's talking about whether or not shitting is in the Bible, and if it's not, why does anyone need to shit if God hasn't said that we need to? Look, I, when I watch it back, a lot of the uh, religious allegory and what was supposed to be undertones strike me as being pretty, like, a, uh, like God. overtony and quite, uh, I'd say, quite convoluted and confusing. God bless Justin Timberlake, though, who grabbed a... Uh, a uh, King James Bible and just started reading from Revelations well, when the I mean when his audio track got a bit thin. We, so we cut a few of those out and just shoved them in, didn't we? Yeah. Well, what we said to Justin when he when he agreed to do that day of voiceover to sort of paper over any of the the holes in the film, we said you're going to go in there and you're going to talk for 24 hours straight. And if you flub a line, if you take a break, if you say um, if you say but, if you take a pause that lasts longer than five seconds, we're going to start the clock again. And so what wound up happening is the first few times he got through to four or five hours, he got through to seven hours on the third try, I think. He was getting pretty upset and pretty frustrated then because he'd been in there. As you as you know, that's what's nine and six, that's 16 hours. It's a long time to not be sleeping. And then eventually he said, can I have a book? And we said, no. And he said, lucky I brought one. And he pulled out a Bible 
And he pretty much did, I'd say, seven hours of recapping the plot before diving straight into just constant bits of scripture, just reading and rereading the Bible. And um, as you said, we were sort of just pulling, we treated that uh, audio tape like a lucky dip in terms of what wound up in the film. We just pulled out different odds and ends and overlaid them with different bits of... uh, Look, here's here's what um, you people might not understand about filmmaking. When you've got a festival like Cannes, What's happening is you are editing on the fly up until the day. We were do- we were shooting stuff uh, two days before Cannes opened. We were uh, showing our film on the first day of the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Ever heard of it? Yeah, we and were. So basically, what we had was a um, we shot this all on uh, Hi Eight tapes. So we were just in a small van, cutting together this this analog footage, bits of uh, JT's audio of him reading from the Bible hoping for the best. And it, the feedback that it was a little flabby, that we could lose 14 minutes, I'll put my hand up and say that's absolutely fine. That's what Khan is for. Khan is about showing your best attempt at yeah. a work in progress of what you've got so far. Well, it's bring funny. Bring it to the directors, yeah. bring it to the people, get some feedback. That was the same year that uh, Sophia Coppola uh, took Marie Antoinette and Richard Link- Linklater, he took, uh, I believe it was Fast Food Nation, I remember talking to them about Khan and their sort of process and getting ready for it and, and how they felt about where their films were at. And both of them, I don't want to say unprofessionally, but certainly in a change of tack, seemed to come along with what they described as finished products. Yeah, but it, I, and it they, comes back to the Leonardo da Vinci sort yeah. of allegory, doesn't it? It's, yeah, what is finished? You know, them is out art there. ever finished? I just, I guess... I mean, our art was not finished. No. I can't stress that enough. We hadn't mixed any of the audio. There were scenes missing. No, uh, Moby, the... Moby actually scored the film live uh, during the screening. And it was incredible. He was a resilient little guy because there was a lot of a lot of different stuff, thrown, a lot of cheeses at can. Moby, of course, a staunch vegan. Um, he didn't mind the cheese hitting him if it was from the neck down. If it hit his face, he'd get pretty upset uh, and he'd start pointing fingers and... I guess when he broke from doing the soundtrack and started berating the panel of judges and critics, maybe that was when the world of the film was broken for them. I think it's very difficult to focus on staying in the realm of the film and suspending your disbelief. If when you... Moby's in the theatre yelling at you about wow. how no one understands real art and how he is a modern-day Leonardo da Vinci. Just how cows, you know, cow's milk is for cows... Human milk is for humans. He said that a lot. Moby's got a fantastic little range of artisanal human dairy uh, cheese products that he he peddled on the streets of Cannes in between screenings of different films. Now, let's um, just, if we may, head back into the world of the film. Must Speaking we? of, <laughs> Proposition 69. Do you remember what that piece of legislation was that you had invented within the universe of this, uh, yes. this film? Yes. Vividly, uh, the Supreme Court were trying to pass a proposition that blocked uh, dual oral sex happening at any one time. It's sometimes, have you heard of a theory called Occam's Razor? Yeah. The simple explanation is, is most the, often the, the most explanation. Yeah. Proposition 69 was, it started as a, as a joke, um, a joke proposition before we were going to write in the actual proposition. Yeah. And I guess... Time got away from us. We never really got around to changing it. So whenever you that, see it referred to in this film, that is the government trying to create legislation to prevent 69s from happening. You do play with the number 69 a lot in this. Uh, not in a 
what I would describe clever way, but more in a child schoolyard well, fashion. If you're going to build a movie as a comedy, you got to have some funny but content. This is now. This is where I've got to put my foot down again because we talked about this at the time, Richard. Sci-fi comedy thriller are not often a Venn diagram in the world of cinema that ends up well when you live in the intersect. I want it to be that way. I want a lot of switches, a lot of fades. A lot of transitions. That's what's crushing it nowadays. Big heavy drops. Yeah. Um, we are just joining two comedy superstars of the silver screen, uh, the most blinding being Sherry O'Terry of Grown Ups 2 fame. I believe uh, um, Terry O'Sherry is Terry O'Sherry. preferred uh, name. She likes Spoonerism, so do I. She's very unconfident on the skates, and I just wish that we had told her before the shoot day that she was going to be uh, skating no, around. I'm all for, uh, not method acting, but certainly naturalism in cinema. It sort of comes against odds with the uh, grandiose science fiction film I've created, but what I want within the world of that is very honest acting performances. If a person can't roller skate, I want to see that. On the screen. But what if the character is supposed to be able to roller skate? Which I'll we're just pick go an example. That... I'll just pick an example. This movie that we We're going to go on that journey with the character. So, yes, the character can roller skate competently, but the actor cannot. And therefore, the character also cannot. I think I'm getting it. Amy Poehler's in this movie. Uh, she's just been on screen saying saying some things. Yeah, I uh, told her if uh, if this movie didn't do well at the box office, that'd be the the end of her career. And, and as we all know, you were dead right. That's right. I have not seen a single thing she's been involved with since. Uh, people assure me that she has been performing, but you know what I say: if, if I it ain't on the, DVD, if I got the DVD. It ain't happening now. What we are exploring at the moment is some themes of the police state, which again, uh, look, in the wrong hands would have just been an absolute nightmare on the screen, but luckily we were in the capable hands of Richard Kelly. The NSA-esque US ident agency uh, has a network of intelligence which... uh, Now, I want to stress, in 2006, we didn't have the Snowden uh, revelations. We didn't know exactly how the NSA was operating, but I think someone could have guessed that it wasn't just a whole lot of microphones being put in jackets of random Mm. people. But that's the decision you chose to make for this movie, that the police state was just a whole lot of microphones in people's jackets and one person uh, at a government agency listening in. Certainly was and is one of the more challenging elements of making an honest science fiction film is... On the one hand, you have a lot of these quite highfalutin, high-concept ideas happening. And then on the other hand... Human souls, do they exist? On the other hand, you want to keep it simple occasionally. So you want want different access points back into the movie. If someone's dropped off or tuned out, they can't keep up with the plot or the number of characters or sort of any of the other various aspects that pretty much make up and comprise basic filmmaking... You need to give them another entry point. And reducing the work of the NSA and intelligence agencies to just microphones being put on different jackets, that's my way of doing that. That's so that's actually a pretty good answer to that. Um, it's a good thing you're here, Richard, to explain yourself. Well, any questions, uh, please you know, keep, keep them coming because it's both uh, exciting, sort of cathartic, and you know, just a... a 
touch harrowing to to stroll down memory lane with you right now. You're having a play with animation in this scene. Uh, there's sort of a rotoscope element to it. Stifler is about to jump out of a window because the cops are coming into the room to find him. He's been drugged in his in a stationary position. Um, I still haven't quite, and it's weird. I did work on the film. Still haven't quite wrapped my head around the fact that he's in this room drugged up, yet he's also the cop. So rolling there around. are two. There are two brothers. Two brothers, and uh, they're both played by Stifler. Mm. And one of the brothers is a cop, and the other one is a vet. Yeah, a, a vet who's of been Iraq. Yeah, who's been drugged by the Marxists. Yes, uh, right. And so the cop has been bound, and the drugged Marxist has been given the mission to go and get the rock to say and do bad things. Here's 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 why I'm still confused. Ten okay. years after please, we've come, put no, the film please, out, keep keep the questions coming. Now I know that I'm skipping ahead, but in the final bits of this film. We have the two Stiflers join hands in sort of an interdimensional portal opening fashion. Why would that occur if it was two brothers? Because they talk a lot about time travel when they're on the mega zeppelin. And I just, I th- you're getting well at this. Sorry, that was sorry. Explosive with spoilers, but like I'm just saying, my understanding was that one of the sti- are there two Stifler brothers, and one of them is also a time traveler. So there's three. I think. Uh, you've already put more thought into this than I have, and that's probably where you're getting confused. Because if you're thinking about things I haven't thought about, then naturally that's going to be confusing for you because I've be made the movie. Um, great work here by The Rock. He's not doing the finger thing in this scene, and I think it's probably the only one uh, that we managed to get out of him. In the no, he's doing it right now. <laughs> I've spoken too early. Ah, oh, doesn't he look youthful though? Look at that gorgeous tan face and that beautiful head of hair. Little did I know The Rock would go on to be the highest grossing box office actor in American cinema. I certainly wish he'd bought a little bit more of that attitude and professionalism to set during our shoot days because... um, He's got a different version of that, actually. I was talking to him recently, and uh, his take is more that he is a stratospheric star that had a lump of iron tied around his feet, which was this script director... DOP, best boy, grip, sound assist, lighting person, makeup artist, yeah. catering. I get it. The Rock had a, had a pretty bad time on to set. Mr. Johnson, first AD, second AD, myself. He he put you studio. into the lump of iron. Sorry? He, he cast you in the lump of iron with everyone else who was dragging him down during yeah. this filming? Yeah, he did. Did you ask me any questions about his insistence on using that hand gesture throughout uh, time on set? Because I notice I haven't seen it, but from the reports I've heard, he hasn't used that uh, same technique. And look, actors make decisions. As far as I'm concerned, it's up to the director to tell them if they're good or not. So that might be a ball landing squarely in your forecourt. Well, one of the decisions I did enjoy was uh, this character's decision to constantly be smoking a cigarette, if not because it... Uh, it not The up. Rock, I'll stress. Just if, if something's happened to your screen and you're yeah. not watching Sorry, it. Sorry, uh, that, that is, of course, the fantastic Bai Ling uh, as Serpentine, who is the, the girlfriend of the Baron character, who's the Elon Musk-esque character played by... You told me that Wallace wasn't Shawn. Baron earlier. No, Wallace Shawn is the Baron. 
You were asking if that big bald pimp who stays with Sarah Michelle Gellar was called Baron. Ah, oh, and he is not. I, okay. I don't Look, think I did, but we're all on the same page. I think we are now. Yeah. So now we're in a library, because uh, why not? We thought it would be great to hammer over the head that these people read books, and they have managed to obtain the Look. screenplay that uh, Boxer has written, Boxer, a.k.a. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, we never get into the weeds on how they obtained the script. Don't think it's too important. No, it's... We also don't get too much into the weeds on who these people are. No, no, these are I all... Feel. Unnecessary questions. The main purpose of this scene is to show the audience books to reassure them they're in safe hands. They're in the hands of someone who has read and written many, many books. Um, and I feel it really does that. I did get frustrated with our DOP for insisting on getting so much of the different characters in frame. When What I really wanted was just several beautiful sort of dolly shots down the aisles of the uh, the library or the bookstore, just mm. showing all sorts of different books. Well, he wasn't about to tell you how to do your job, and I think the reverse should have been true. Uh, it wasn't. Now, this shot right here, if you're watching along at home, is interesting because the, the DOP has actually moved the camera far too early, uh, shifting off of frame of the person speaking while she has still got dialogue and resting on the next person along in the line who is silent for a long while before her line is delivered. Can I tell you... I just want to ask the question, could we not have had a better take to put in the final cut of this movie? That's for two reasons, of which I will give you both. Number one, uh, Moby was on set that day Uh, uh, really belting out a tune, which was highly distracting, and then... Combine that with the fact I was yelling over him to say, less people, more books. I feel like really, given the circumstance in which they're working, we did the best we the could. DOP got the best shot they could on yeah. the day. Those high eight tapes aren't cheap either, so you've got to be a little frugal with yeah. them. Um, now, we're in the offices of US Ident, once again, the NSA-esque agency uh, full of people wearing raincoats. And a disproportionately high number of little people, which was an interesting decision you made, reminded me a lot of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, look, there's no greater reason for, um, well, there's no like broader, you know, reason that serves the plot of why exactly there are that many little people working at our NSA equivalent agency. It was pretty much because. Um, they weren't unionized at the time. I see. Uh, and so they were very cheap to have on set. We did manage to uh, get away with a $15 million budget, which considering the cavalcade of stars we have in this film, uh, we used a lot of blackmail to get people involved in this project. The yeah. good thing about Hollywood is once you blackmail a couple of big stars, the rest will just fall into line because they're very excited to hear that and Stifler's going to be in a movie and yeah. they'd love to play alongside That's him. exactly right. And the the thing is... When you think about it, you can see a lot of the elements of of my life and where I was during pre uh, and yeah, so pre production and during production in terms of we've got a movie within a movie. We've got a lot of blackmail happening. It's yeah. really art imitating life. Yeah, imitating imitating art. Now this scene was a lot of fun to shoot. Um, we've what got we Amy, actually did, Amy Poehler and her co conspirator and the neo Marxists uh, with facial prosthetics on their characters in this film and correct me if I'm wrong Richard you did write the screenplay they are pseudo famous pop cultural icons 
who are secretly part of the neo-Marxists. They've dressed themselves up as a newly married couple having a fight and then called the police to come in to fake a shooting while Boxer That's is right. filming. He has done the ride along under the guise of developing the screenplay that he's written. So he's got a camera with him riding with Stifler the cop. Their intention is to go in. They've got pre-planted squibs so it will look like a shooting by the cop, That's right. which will trigger civil unrest. What actually happens? I'll tell you what actually happens. John fucking Lovitz shows up. Yeah, and John Lovitz uh, loves to improvise. That's what we know about John. He showed up on set. He was not paid at all. I mean, if we had to pay him as well, we would have gone well over budget. He's got a, an astronomical fee. He, he literally was uh, driving around. He'd had his hair bleached blonde. Mm. He had on a cop's uniform. He was in a cop car. He showed up and just started talking like started he was on ripping. set. Yeah. The Rock and Stifler, both huge Lovitz fans, they're just playing along. And then suddenly we're literally incorporating one of John Lovitz's famous benders into our film. And that sort of began, not the unraveling, but certainly a changing of the plot and the way the movie plays out from here forth. Because he goes along with them on what he didn't know, both in terms of uh, the actual experience of making the movie and the plot within the movie, is a pivotal scene. And completely changed... Based on... Sorry to just interject there, Richard. Based on his um, performance that we see on screen in this film, I would say ketamine is probably the main suspect for this particular bender. He's got a real introverted, yeah. intense, uh, sort of inward-facing vibe. Moby you, really yeah, tried his best to rescue I mean, this scene, didn't he? Truly didn't incredible, he? incredible work from Moby. Listen closely and just... Remember that Moby is making all of these noises at one time using nothing but his mouth while on set. I mean, you know, that, and that's why you tolerate all of the eccentricities because he really, when he brings the goods, uh, he, he, he brings them in real time. Uh, and I mean that quite literally. He does do all of this performance live on set. So here we see John Lovett still improvising with uh, Amy Poehler, who's, of course, one of the founding members of the UCB, also a fantastic improviser. Sherry O'Terry, yeah. as good as they come. And this was actually a pretty smart power play by John Lovitz because what happens is once he shoots these two characters in the film, uh, he is now integral to the plot. We were shooting on that high eight stuff. We really didn't have time to take the scene again. And so suddenly what you wind up with is... I don't want to say a director and a producer operating at the whim of John Lovitz, but um, a position where John Lovitz has a lot more sway and a lot more say over where the movie goes than anyone in production had accounted for. They're dead now, folks. John Lovitz's character in the improv, uh, which is a strong offer to throw at a scene, has shot dead two yeah. of the characters from the film. Stifler's trying his best to keep his wits about him. Here, and the, rock, the Rock is starstruck completely. He's, he's gone back to that hand thing. He's reverted back to the Monty Burns uh, finger tapping. It's just kind of a bizarre place to go by default, you know? And he does it so often in the film. But so often. Once again, what I just want to say to anyone watching along with us and maybe struggling to keep up with exactly what's happening in terms of plot. Uh, character development, who's important to the plot, who's sort of a secondary or third-string character. You you decide. Just don't worry about it. Exactly. Make your own mind up. Um, I wouldn't call this a choose-your-own-adventure movie, but 
I was certainly reading a lot of Choose Your Own Adventure books during the script development, during the time we were shooting. Uh, a lot of goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, look, a lot of goosebumps pick a path. Uh, and I remember you incorporating that onto the wall of yarn, as I called it, because there's so much string involved. And I said, you can't shoot a linear movie in a fashion where people can pick their own. The technology doesn't exist. Look, Richard, I kept telling you, uh, you steadfastly stayed to your guns. Yeah. God bless you for doing it. I just think ultimately, I, I just keep coming back to that box office result. Yeah, as vindication if, that I might have been on. I know something. it's your job as producer to keep an eye on the box office, but if I could just get you to look past that and remember, we were on the cusp of greatness. We could have been on the forefront of a new wave of cinema. Hey, Richard, who's not on the cusp of greatness? Uh, anyone who's still making movies. Uh, and not releasing them on DVD. I uh, would say that sort of 99% of cinema in Hollywood right now is made by washed-up sellouts. Blu-ray sellouts, Blu-ray sellouts, them. cinema release sellouts. Netflix is destroying this industry from the inside out. It's like Bora. It's rotting the tree from the inside out. It might look like a healthy tree. You take an axe to that, get into the middle of it, it's all dry, hollow, Bad stuff. Uh, the Pixies making a special musical appearance in here, and The Rock uh, really going for it with the improv skills. A phone's ringing, so he takes off his three layers mm. of tops. Not often where a phone is, but he decided yeah. to explore that for his character. Now, I just want to take a moment to dig into what we are seeing in this bit. We've got a character <laughs> who works for US Ident. She has obtained the screenplay, which is leaked online somehow. Or she's obtained it through her web of uh, the, the multiple fingers of questions. the police state. Just... She has been eating chips the entire film. Her decision, not ours. And she is now obsessed with this nonsense screenplay uh, penned by Boxer. She has sort of become part of the script. She's put herself into now, it. Now, this, can I just, can we just... It's a quick sidebar oh, yeah, here. This, no, is this is important. hands down my favorite scene in the entire film. <laughs> Please describe for the visually impaired what we're saying. Uh, so this is just an advert we inserted inside the world of the film, whereby I remember saying to you, wouldn't it be hilarious if one animated SUV... A cop car. ...fucked another animated SUV? Yeah. And you said, absolutely, can we do that? And I said, I will take what we have remaining of the budget... I care not what happens to the rest of the plot in this film, but if we can see an exhaust pipe turn into an erect penis... And, and then another exhaust pipe turn into a... Uh, I have to use the word pulsating because yeah. that's what we're seeing, vagina. The big black cop-looking SUV is literally fucking another SUV. It was a bold call, and it doesn't actually... I guess it colours the universe that you're creating, and I get that, but it's an ad. It's a fictional ad for a fictional card well, that you've just inserted into the film. What were you trying to say with this? I originally approached Jeep with an opportunity to put some money into the film in response for a lot of product placement. What an opportunity. Excuse me, CEO of Jeep. I have an opportunity for you to give me a lot of money. Yeah. What an opportunity. What an opportunity indeed. Uh, and... It will surprise you to hear this, but I got laughed out of the boardroom and that was deeply upsetting to me. So mm. what I did is I created an entire car company yeah. um, 
and within that car company, I created ads for the sorts of cars I'd like to see. Yeah. The intention, of course, being to seed those ads throughout the film and then launch the car company with all of the box office profits once the movie broke even and mm. then broke into a different stratosphere of earnings. Well, uh, sure, once you get that DVD sell-through market, I well, mean, you're printing money at that point. So my producers told me, alas, those plans remain on the floor. Um, and I'm sorry, I, I distracted you. You were in the oh, yeah, describing okay. so where look, exactly I, the plot I, I, was taking us. So this... Um, Woman who we've got working in US Ident has become obsessed with Boxer and his screenplay. We're actually back with this scene now. She's just been on the phone to him, giving him instructions on where to go uh, to meet her because she's in love with Boxer now. Slightly strange that she... I'm just thinking about this now, actually. Just kind of processing this in real time 10 years after we've finished the film. She's been quite subordinate because she's working for an agency that's been trying to track down Boxer. She's sitting on him. In a visual sense, she's been watching him very closely for a long time, reading his screenplays. She's now ringing him on the telephone and speaking she's to not him. Telling her bosses that yeah. she's found him. Well, the other thing to remember is she is speaking to Boxer as though he's the character from the screenplays written. So yeah. she doesn't even call him Boxer Centaros; she calls him Jericho Kane. And again, your insistence on giving the dozens of characters we already had in this movie multiple names. I just, I just, I can't help but think it was a bad idea in retrospect. I'm uh, sorry, I've said it. I've said well, it. Well, this is all feedback that I wouldn't have minded uh, taking on board during the production. All process. but I told you. All but I did. Well, I think you could have been maybe a little bit more persistent and hard nosed in your efforts to communicate this to me because. I spray painted over the yarn wall. Less names, more cohesion. Well, as you well know, once you took the yarn out of the room, I couldn't go back in there for fear of being upset. And that's on me. I yeah. should have known that. But I, I'm just saying we have a shared responsibility well, on this. isn't it funny? As we put the pieces of this filmmaking process back together, you can sort of see where there were maybe uh, communication breakdowns or opportunities for, for balls to be dropped. Not to worry, we do pick up those balls and throw them back in the air. Uh, I mean, that's what juggling is. God, some of the dialogue in this is... Truly dicey is how I would describe it. Oh, and that's right. Sarah Michelle Gellar's in this movie, everybody. Yeah. Uh, I know that we told you about that earlier, and then we all <laughs> forgot about it. But no, she's still here. Certainly uh, here. Krista now, the entrepreneurial porn star. We just focused on her briefly. We're back to Boxer now, who is doing the finger thing again. It's kind of like the more you see it, the more jarring it becomes. Uh, normally, you normalize stuff like this. It becomes... Um, yeah, a more normalized visual for you to see something that you on first blush think is very out of place. Uh, you get desensitized to it. The finger thing, on the other hand, becomes mm. increasingly uncomfortable the mm. more you see Dwayne The Rock Johnson do it in the movie. No doubt. And he responds to everything. We're adding more names to the same characters again. Importantly. We're back with US ID. And I'm, I, like, at this point in the movie... We have 57 and a half minutes in. Well, I produced the thing. I, if you're I'm getting put confused, my hand up and say, I'm a little lost. You don't need to worry about it because as I've uh, constantly been reassuring you, I mean, I feel like we're back on set with the amount of reassuring I have to do for you. Everything will become clear. And I remember you saying to me, look, we're at the hour mark in the movie. We're going to run out of time. And I said, we're going to run out of high eight tapes. You don't need to worry about that. We've got another hour and a half to fix this thing up. And before we fix this thing up, what I would like to do, get some more balls, 
throw them in the air. Introduce several more characters and plot threads to really muddy the waters, throw some people off the scent. I do not want this to be a predictable predictable movie. I want people to be to be guessing along, picking their own path with me, picking their own path, mm. choosing which characters they want to follow, which characters they want to cut. Um, oh, that guy in the back's called Bing. I've just picked that up because we're watching with the uh, subtitles this time. Yeah. Didn't know that. Didn't know that Bing the first couple of times I watched this was and a, I made it. He was another one who didn't naturally take the skates. And um, the scene you're about to see here, he, Bing also insisted on carrying around a Dyson Airblade with him at all times, which was a pretty futuristic piece of technology back in 2005, 2006. You've got to remember that. I figured that was just the set dressers doing a cool job with his backpack. No, 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 no. no. Bing was a real eccentric. So he was carrying a Dyson Airblade while learning to roller skate. And this scene was that not a stunt. That is a Dyson Airblade, isn't it? That is the exact same shape. That backpack that he's got is the identical makeup. Yeah. Structurally. To a Dyson Airblade. Really now, incredible. we got quite a lot of money from an anti-rollerblading lobby uh, to put this in. Uh, the moment happens in three, two, one, and action. He's just been taken out. Bing has been crushed by a car, a speeding cop car, which That's then right. backs over his probably already dead body, collecting him under the vehicle and mangling his corpse. Um Look, is that something you stand by now that the money's kind of all dried up and up your nose? Uh, Do you think it adds to the film? I think I regret the way we dealt with telling his grieving family. But you can't afford special effects all the time. I know. You keep saying Yeah, and you you can't beat yourself up about, you know, mistakes that were made in the past. You gotta look at it. Let's move swiftly on. Stifler's in a dumpster where he has been lying yeah. for this upwards was frustrating. of 12 hours. Sherry O'Terry, to her credit, was really insistent on learning how to rollerblade mm. and often when we were shooting other takes we'd just be working on a yeah, rollerblading God. back and forth. And Between that and Moby it was just difficult to get a clean take. It really was. Now, so just to let you know, Stifler escaped from the police who were coming up. He he jumped off the roof of a building, landed in a dumpster. He's been lying there for about 12 hours and now he's glowing from the hands. Yeah, uh, and decides to make a run for it. You say this like this is news to you, Richard. No, no, no. I was saying yeah, as in yeah, obviously. What else do you Oh, expect? I see. Sorry. Like I'm the idiot. Yeah, you and anyone who can't keep up. Um, We've introduced a new character now. Uh, he is a weapons, an arms dealer working out of an ice cream truck. There's a nice interplay there. Good bit of juxtaposition. Yeah, uh, because ice cream is the weapon of mass destruction of the food industry. Is that what you were getting at with that? Yeah. People, you guys, we need to cut. I'm not saying get sugar out of your diet completely, but just certainly regulate your intake. Be aware of what you're putting into your body. Very nice. So the two takeaways from this film in terms of a public health safety message would be maybe just watch your calorie intake and never, ever rollerblade. Those were the two lobbies that gave me the most money to champion their message. So yes, a thousand times yes. Absolutely. Look, oh, that's interesting. Um, so happening in the background of this film, and again, uh, some of these things I'm learning for the first time with the subtitles being up. Whoever did those subtitles, bang up job too. There's news reports happening in the background. That was they Justin Timberlake. I see. <laughs> that as well, did he? Well, yeah, after he got out of the voiceover booth, uh, when he finally got that 24-hour clean take, yeah. we said, Justin, you're not going to like this, but we're going to need someone to caption this film in its entirety. Right. And he said, don't you surely have some leftover budget? 
you can get someone else to do that. And I said, you get in that, that room. Same rules apply. Mm. 24 hours straight. Oh. You make a mistake, you go back to the beginning. So happening sort of in the backdrop of this film, you were playing with a lot of political concepts that were hot at the time. Um, there's a, a code red terror alert. So everyone's been... I think lockdown, there's no immigration happening inwards or outwards for the United States. And in some ways, an incredibly prescient vision of this post-Trump America that we're living in now. Yeah, did Trump win, did he? So until that uh, footage is released on DVD, it's sort of been quite difficult for me to engage politically with what's happening in the world. I see. I see. Uh, So you're not even sort of interfacing with news or anything (laughs) unless that news gets released on it. On a DVD? I have not received a single piece of new information since the year 2007. Okay. Very good. Uh, so, Boxer has now, through his Oh, by the way, to, okay, Mandy th- Moore, ladies and gentlemen, a big round oh, of applause, God, please. isn't she good? Don't we love her? Na- absolute national treasure. Um, Boxer has been found by the Republicans... When he's been fucking around on that beach yeah. where he went to because the woman from US Ident told him to go there to meet him. Wait, have we had that scene no, that, that yet? Isn't, oh, shit. Okay. Don't worry. Well, they've, they've picked him up. The net has closed in on him, and he has been returned to his old wife, Mandy Moore, who we didn't know up until now was sort of in the picture, um, and his old Republican comrades. Uh, they're all happy to see him. A lot of hugs going around. And I don't think there's any greater dream for an actor in Hollywood than being able to hug Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That's true. We're introducing a new thread here between uh, the Grown Ups 2 co-stars, Cherry O'Terry and Jonathan Lovett. These guys got caught in a a riff and wound up improvising a lot of stuff that we weren't planning on using. They improvised more balls and you said bring them on. for, For lack of other options and a desire to insert more characters, character development and plot into the film, I said yes and to uh, quite literally every offer these two made. So every scene between those two, that's all the tape we had. It yeah. went straight in the film. Very, also, John, just, yeah, you go. I'd just like to issue a correction. Sure. Um, I mistakenly said uh, the late John Larroquette. Uh, he's very much alive and well. I was just calling him out for well, his... he was supposed to join us in the booth. Yeah. He is late. Yeah. Uh, and I just, it only just now occurred to me... Uh, there could have been a misinterpretation yeah. by some. So, well, yeah. Just a, more of a clarification, less an apology. Yeah. Very much alive, very much incapable of sticking to dates, arrangements made with friends, former for colleagues. DVD commentaries. I get it. Ah, boy. So, <laughs> we're covering a little ground now with the dialogue uh just papering over some of that rough terrain um we are explaining uh, back to the what the neo-marxists are up to their sort of plot for civil unrest uh mandy moore the main reason boxer and the republicans have now been joined by krista now um or sarah michelle Geller, the porn star who's entered the picture she's brought in with her oh god a sex tape to blackmail uh, that's right. Boxer? Uh, so during the week uh, where Boxer had amnesia and was staying and writing. With, After he'd been in the desert. Yeah. Passed out. With uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, or as you rightfully called her, Krista now, they had a lot of sex. 
And why wouldn't they? They're both very good-looking people, consenting adults, uh, by all means. Well, he's married. That's one. Well, that's a pretty big reason not to. But remember, he's got uh, serious amnesia and no idea that he's doing anything. That's true. Uh, wrong. So they fucked a lot, and they filmed a lot of it. Yeah. And uh, pretty much, that seems to be the main motivation, the main objective for Kristen now. Now. Yeah. So is, so now now is extorting. All of them, really. Well, Everyone else in the room. He's, remember, he's a political player. He's very influential with regard. He's got ties to the Republican Party. And so she's pretty much trying to trade on that cachet to get some cash e money yeah. for herself. Uh, but also to swing the vote on Proposition like, 69, which yeah. I still have to admit I'm not 100% on. Well, understandably, we, she just, works in the porn industry, and if you were to remove 69ing from the legal list of options... I've got a funny feeling that your initial script intention with what Prop 69 was going to be got changed by someone along the way, and you may not have been part of that rewrite certainly session. sounds very unlikely to me. I'd just like to say, beyond all of the important plot and character development that we've crammed into this scene, the, the main reason I put it together was... Uh, I had a bet with my 13-year-old cousin that I could get Mandy Moore and Sarah Michelle Gellar in one room at one time. And he said, there's no fucking way you can do that. And I said, uh, you bet your sweet 13-year-old boner I can. And um, I just want to say, in your face, Corey, you still owe me 100 bucks, dude. Honor your bets. You're a Kelly. So yeah, all of this sort of plot, uh, all this Barons dialogue. Barons in the room. I forgot to mention Barons in the room. Yeah, yeah. Our vision of Elon Musk. Uh, he's been working in cahoots with the Republicans, I guess. Um, he's also, <laughs> I'm sorry that this sort of, I didn't dig into this earlier. <laughs> little bit, little bit of, little bit of plot that I might have missed. He has constructed a floating uh, energy machine, which I alluded to before, that is wirelessly distributing energy to state devices it appears ships cars and he's state-run machinery he's, similar to how tesla originally yeah. intended for the world to be connected with a like invisible wireless energy system and beyond that he's also unwilling to discuss the details of where they're sourcing the energy well i mean there's a lot of uh half-baked concepts being thrown around that i think Easy you never now. quite finished I like Easy that you now. started getting into them. There was talk of the energy being created by waves, which... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic, I don't know if you remember, and the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. Just to me, it's I a simple hydroelectric machine. with juggling is you've got, say, your favorite ball mm. and you throw it in the air. And as soon as that ball's in the air, suddenly you think to yourself, where did my favorite ball go? Well, I guess I'll just get a new ball. And you get a new ball and you throw that in the air. And then as soon as that is in the air, you think, I could have sworn I just had a ball. Where's that ball gone? And so you get another ball and you look at it and you go, I, I will love you forever. I'll never forget you, ball. And you throw that in the air. At which point, often the first ball, your original favorite ball, will come back into your life and you'll say, I thought you left me. Never leave me again. And you throw it back in the air. There's a very small window of opportunity where you don't have, you've recently you had up to three balls. Now you've got no balls. So you find another, a fourth ball and you look at that and you say, this, this is the one. Surely is the ball for me. You throw that in the air. The second ball then lands in, the, in your hand and mm. you say, I remember you. Get out of here. You left me and you throw it in the air and then you find a fifth ball which you're uh, just so certain would never leave you. And you throw it in the air and before you know it, you've got upwards of 10 balls in the air. And um, no, you know, there's sort of, there's a tether between you. There's some sort of emotional connection and uh, memory between the two of you, but if you had spent half as much time on finishing this script as you did at Clown School, I think we'd have a better, more sellable product. Okay, I've said it. Uh, I have not always been the best at taking uh, criticism on board from you both, from from other members of the production. And um, that hasn't really changed in the last 10 years. So to hear you say that to me right now, I consider uh, very disrespectful uh, and Richard, very antagonist. Fuck your mother. I sunk so much of my own money into this project. You assured me that this would be Donnie Darko 2.0, a critical and well, crowd darling. That's and what this flaming the original... turd of juggling balls. This movie is Donnie Darko 2.0. There I said it. But the studio apparently didn't think that it correlated to what happened in the first movie. They said it was difficult to keep up. Wait a minute, up. wait, hold on. You're saying this is literally a sequel to Donnie Darko? Yes. I thought you meant that in like a spiritual success. No, this is the second Donnie Darko. Well, this, I have to admit, kind of changes everything. 
the studio meddled with me. They they got in. They got their fingers in all over the marketing, the what branding. What the fuck is this guy's deal as well? Riddle me that. He's developing a new web series. So, as far as I can tell, Richard, you've introduced another character into the film, uh, <laughs> Freakman Virtue, who is a, almost a Julian Assange type character who's running a like a WikiLeaks kind of anti-US ident website that's outside of the reach of the US government. Am I am I close? Is that kind of what he is supposed to be in this? Yeah. Oh boy, you know what's coming up now? We see JT and he's at an arcade. There's an important bit of filmmaking and anyone who's read uh, a little Bible of storytelling called Save the Cat will know about a section of the film called Fun and Games. That's when we all take a breather from the various balls we've thrown in the year from having to deal with the plot or sexual psychological relationships between John Lovitz and Sherry O'Terry they're introducing via improv, and we go, you know what would be fun instead if we just did a music video well, in the middle of the film? That's right. Fun and games traditionally uh, come about after you've established the core objective or the call to action for your protagonist, and they set out in their journey. They've accepted this call to action, and uh, before they sort of get down to the nitty-gritty of solving and resolving what's happening, you know, you get to have a little bit of fun with them. You get to see them learning about themselves and Let's about their journey. Laughs, put a montage in um, there. I've always found that to be quite a restrictive way of going about fun and games. Why do you have to establish these things up front when you can just start having fun and games when and wherever you please? You did right. And I, we've actually jumped the gun slightly. I got a little excited. I saw this, JT in the arcade the screen. This, to me, is still part of the fun and games of the, of the not, movie-making <laughs> process. Uh, just to, once again, let you know... If for the visually impaired who are watching along at home, uh, we are now in a boardroom with the Japanese Prime Minister. That's um, right. Uh, the Baron is here as well with some of the Republican cohorts. And uh, the lady whose name escapes me in this film... Serpentine. Serpentine, uh, who's the smoking lady. Uh, Played by Bai Ling. Very suggestive dress. Now, the deal was, I can't remember what the Japanese Prime Minister was getting in exchange, but they were going to cut his finger off, which is part of a voter ID fraud. He was getting a new car. That's all it was? The Japanese Prime Minister was going to get a new car and sacrifice a finger for that. As I remember it, yeah, that's how I wrote it in the original draft. The Japanese Prime Minister wanted a new car. I feel like we punched that up later, maybe without you. But anyway, what's happened now is Baron, in a gotcha moment, has uh, got Serpentine to cut the entire hand off from the Japanese Prime Minister and then revealed to him that there was a clause in the contract they had signed whereby there was a margin of error of up to six inches um, with regard to the cut of the finger. Now... I don't want to get too much in the weeds of this with okay, you right please, now, but I have not. a couple of questions. Okay, yeah, no, let's do it then. Let's, Can we? Yeah, yeah. Just briefly, Richard. By all means. You've introduced a subplot in this movie about voter fraud involving the <laughs> the trading, the trafficking of fingers. Dismembered yeah. fingers off of people. Yeah. The neo-Marxists are collecting random people's fingers to try and bring about voter fraud somehow in the upcoming election, which again is in the film in the background, isn't quite heavy hand, maybe not clearly enough explained. We won't get into that. I just don't know the mechanic by which the fingers equal votes. I would understand if it was a system where fingerprints were served as ID, but then if the Japanese Prime Minister's hand is involved, he's not going to be a registered voter. It just doesn't... Okay. I don't quite... Get All it. good questions. 
uh, all valid questions, but you're coming from a different school of cinema. And this is somewhere where I have butted heads numerous times with, um, you know, the establishment. Uh, you don't need everything to link up. I, it's, I'm so tired of watching these neat movies where everything serves something else in the story. Everything's moving the one plot forward. Why can't you have a film where there's just several different storylines at play or balls in the air, if you will, and entertain all of those? And look, I, I don't really want to get into discussing the critical theory and my process of filmmaking when we're about to enjoy... Some fun and games. Like the most fun game in the whole movie, which okay. was You're I was right. listening to a lot of the killers during this time. Yeah. And I remember you saying to Justin idea. Timberlake, I said, what do you think about the killers? He said, the killers, I don't like them. I find Brandon Flowers to be pretty weird. Do you know he's a Mormon? I said, I did not know he's a Mormon. He said, well, to answer your question, Richard, I'm not a fan. I said, well, you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you. Behind that door, there is a music video studio. You're going to shut yourself in there for 24 hours until we get a clean take of you singing all these things that I've done by the killers. I've got 24 dancers. They've got a perfectly choreographed piece. You're going to figure out how to insert yourself in that. The other thing, you have to drink a can of Budweiser due to sponsorship obligations every minute you're in that room. Work it in. Work it in, JT. You're a professional. We haven't quite entered the sequence yet, but what's happened is um, there's a young man whose whose name escapes me at the moment who comes back later in the film who's come in in some sort of a drug deal. Now, again, let's glide over this, but just to let the audience know, uh, Fluid Karma is both the name of the wireless perpetual motion energy dispersal system and also... A drug that a people drug. can inject into themselves. And there is a correlation between those two things. I didn't figure out exactly what it is, but somehow so, the drug traffic is fueling yeah. uh, this Elon Musk-esque character. It, it's, it's as if you went, you know how I've given all these characters two names? I'm going to give two things the same name to try and stitch this back up together. That's exactly right. And now, here we go into the music The best video. take that we got of uh, Justin singing The Killers. Look, it took him until the 24th hour to get it right, by which time he drank roughly 1,432 Did you get the song right before as well? No, this is all these things I've done. Oh, is that the name of this track? Absolutely. I see. Sorry for not Huge knowing. Huge Killers fan. My, no worries. My, uh, not everyone Brandon knows the back catalogue. But yeah, so if you can imagine what it would feel like to be a highly tuned athlete who's just spent upwards of 60 hours in a sound booth and then a typing booth to be told you need to shoot a music video after having drunk 1,332 beers. I think just a moment to give Justin Timberlake his juice here and say the guy really showed up. I mean, I've got to give you a little bit of pushback there, Richard, because... We've seen this style of thing executed in movies before. The Big Lebowski comes to mind where you have a big flashy sequence put to a great track and you have a dreamlike sequence. That's not what I'm really seeing here. I'm seeing a man in an arcade with dancers. It's just a straight music video. There doesn't seem to be that heightened sense of reality to Two give words. it a dreamlike quality at all. Fun and games. I heard at one point that uh, Brandon Flowers wrote this song to kind of get away from the church a bit because they, in in the Church of Latter-day Saints or Mormonism, they call themselves soldiers. 
and the lyric, uh, I've got soul, but I'm not a soldier, sort of him. That is trying, an trying interesting piece of trivia. I don't know if it's true. might not be. You hear a lot of things on set. You know, I, I work on a lot of movie sets. You hear things. It's basically yeah. my version of Wikipedia. Yeah, no. Most of the things that I know, similar to how you obtain information through DVDs alone, uh, I generally hear things on set. Yeah. Sort of I my mean, education. I guess you just can't always trust the the traditional channels of information. Not anymore. Fake news surrounds us all. And thus concludes the music video. The fun and games. We've been in it the whole time, uh, just so you're aware. In fact, we're still in it now. Yeah, this is uh, just before Justin passed out from exhaustion. Um, But what we did is we we propped him up and taped, uh, actually glued, sorry, uh, uh, one of the guns from Time Crisis 2 to his hand and said, until you kill all of these terrorists, uh, you're contractually obligated to stay in this warehouse. Stifler's name is Abilene in this? Yeah. He's in so much of the movie that I made, and I did not know that. It's amazing. Like I'm sort of, in going through the director's commentary with you, both starting to learn about maybe why this movie didn't deliver on everything that it promised, and that would be because I had a producer who struggled to pay attention to the most rudimentary details of filmmaking. Yeah, that's fair. How do you expect the audience to keep up with everything I'm throwing at them? If my producer, who's making the movie with me, can't. It's fair critique. I don't have a good answer for you. Um, what I do have is a description of what's happening on screen, which is we're back at US Ident and everyone's doing stretches while JT is explain. Okay, so what he's doing is setting up something that's coming up in the future. He's basically explaining how human beings are linked to their environment, but in a very specific way uh, that we have evolved to. You look, Richard, you look disinterested. You look sleepy. You look angry that we're still in the booth. Uh, I'm not angry at all. I just, in seeing this cinematic triumph once more, I'm just growing increasingly irate (laughs) that this didn't get the reception or the fanfare it deserved. When you pour your heart and soul into something and people don't necessarily like that thing, yeah, it, it breaks your heart. I mean, we're at the hour 20 uh, mark and you've thrown another pretty big ball in the air and then cut away from it, which is the mega Zeppelin. Wow. We've just, we've flashed that. <laughs> we've introduced it just ever so briefly, but now we're back with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. So Leaving don't worry us. about that too much. With a very tidy hour and ten minutes to wrap up all of the respective threads we've a lot of balls. And you haven't even added all the balls yet. Well, the thing is, when you're juggling, you sometimes you start throwing the balls up so high you forget you've got any in the air somehow and you just put more up there. <laughs> you start a new juggling session from scratch. Um Oh my god, this bit always irked me, to be honest. I just thought it was a bit too clean that uh, Krista now comes into the Den of Iniquity, yeah. which is the neo-Marxist hideout where uh, Terry O'Sherry or Sherry O'Terry, oh, it, it does it. Who, at this who point, knows what she was calling herself on this day of production? <laughs> she comes into the den. Sarah Michelle Gellar finds the sex tape that was very useful for her to have just sitting on a chair with the name Boxer written on it in big letters. She's always irked me that for all the incredibly intricate and subtle weaving you put into this film. That was one thing that you really bashed us over the head with. Uh, yeah, look, if you're going to take the long way home, 
Uh, what's going to be odd shortcuts? Yeah, exactly. You've always said. And often those shortcuts don't turn out to be shortcuts at all because you don't know the neighborhood you're in. You don't know the roads you're turning down. And what you think is a shortcut on the long way home is actually an even longer way home. And I feel like that analogy really holds true here. Also, I'd just like to say that the tape that says box that she's picked up, uh, due to the double crossing that we've written into the film and has been improvised by Terry O'Sherry and John Lovitz, that tape is in fact not the sex tape she thinks it is. Rather, it is the tape that we mentioned earlier whereby The Rock is involved in a double homicide. That's right, because John Lovitz decided to go off book and... He didn't even have a book. Some some murder. Oh, say, okay. Now look, this is a great moment. We got to talk about this moment because this is a great moment. Stifler is in his cop uniform, walking the beat of Venice Beach, California. Comes across a man with a gun to his head in his car. Um, he's about to blow his his brains out. It's quite a tragedy. Stifler asks him to give him the gun. The man is very compliant. No problems there. Stifler then follows that up uh, with asking the man immediately with nothing in between. For his I help. need your help. Yeah. I need you to help me find my brother. The man again, instantly compliant, suicidal c- c- seconds ago. Yeah. And he's just like, yep, that sounds like a cool and idea. And how does this, uh, I never really got your opinion on it because it is certainly a stylistic departure from other bits of plot development I put into the film. How did that scene feel for you on the day and now with 10 years between us shooting it and watching it back? What I will say is I feel exactly the same now as I did when we shot it. We are off to watch some other balls descend back into our skillful director, Richard Kelly. Kelly's hands. We've got a political operative or politician. Who knows? But I'm pretty sure that guy was in a very long-running... He was um, sitcom. That is, he's meant to be. Well, I tell you what, it better be was running right now Kevin? because that motherfucker's meant to be in the studio with us right now. That's John Larroquette, maybe best known as the father from Richie Rich. No, uh, not best known. He was in uh, the West Wing. Not what the I'm John Larroquette show. No, Boston Legal. Oh, I probably remember him from that. Actually, that was a great show. That was your brother, wasn't it, David E. Kelly? Mm. Who uh, who penned that of Ali McBeal fame, and uh, that other thing, the practice, bloody great shows. Look, I didn't come here to hear you talk about how great my brother's doing. Well, I know it's a sore point for you because look, we don't have to get into. That. I made I mean, Donnie this, Darko when this, I was twenty six. Yeah, but can I draw your attention to the bit of dialogue that you wrote and we shot just then? She's blackmailing this guy for a million dollars. He's wondering what she's going to do with the money. And I think I'm speaking verbatim. Her answer is, I'm going to go to the Middle East and buy those women some more civil liberties. I mean, sorry, that's dude. not how it works, Richard. Uh, what, being a feminist? I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it works. Well-drawn female characters with the best of intentions... Uh, skillfully executing your global vision of politics look, and how this utopian my way, society would exist. Do you know what my plans were with the box office take from this movie? First of all, I was going to start a competing a competing car line to Jeep. Mm-hmm. It's going to make my money back, make them regret crossing me. The next thing, I was going to buy 
a lot of women, a lot more civil liberties. And I'm not just talking the Middle East. I'm talking everywhere. Yeah, and what happened, Richard? The movie lost, and I'll remind people of the budget, $18 million, and it lost... $15 million. That might be right. And it lost... 17. <laughs> it lost 16 and a half million of those dollars. Well... It lost them. They're in the couch somewhere. 16,600,000, 16, if you want to be specific about it. But I who's mean, you counting? just corrected me upwards of my figure, which doesn't really help your case. But it no, is more it, accurate, and I appreciate your accurate. honesty. Good God. Um, where are we? We're on Venice. Uh, the the Rock's here. He's wearing sunglasses now. He's not doing... Oh, now he's drinking the buds. He's holding a six-pack. One of the cans is open. He holds the whole six-pack above his head and pours some beer down. Legend. It's a great look for the man. There's also a very exciting scene coming up. The I good thing... Thought... Here's what I like what you did with that. You went, you know this finger thing? I think I've got a way around it. If we put a big, heavy object in one hand, he can't link... And nervously tap his fingers against each other. <laughs> and you did it. And it fucking works. Don't you love it when a plan comes together, Richard? Yeah, I, I really do. And I guess that's what I love about this. Now we're transitioning into the third act of the film. Is you're about to see one of the most complex displays of juggling uh, be executed. <laughs> you know... <laughs> It's a big ask to get uh, audiences to sit through this entire film and, and try and keep pace. Um, <laughs> you know, on set, the mantra was, it's a marathon and a sprint. And I think... <laughs> it's a marathon <laughs> and a sprint. That really sums up this movie, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It is a marathon, but also it is a sprint at all times. It's it is a marathon comprised of sprinting. One of the things that always confused me is who delivered those newspapers to Justin Timberlake's character? <laughs> That's a fucking good question. Justin Timberlake's character, uh, ex uh, Iraq vet who um, had a an accident that's alluded to in Fallujah that gave him facial scarring, is sitting on a crow's nest with a sniper rifle and a laptop. Um, Somewhere around Venice like Beach. He's there all day. He's just sitting there all day. Also, all the civilians seem to be fine with the fact that he's constantly training a pretty large sniper uh, gun like yeah. on them while they sunbathe. And those snipers are kind of everywhere. I kind of like that, that you introduced this dystopian police state where people had normalized all these snipers. Oh, my God. we got to dig into this. Okay. Yeah, this is a great so- scene. One of my favorites, certainly. The main motivation behind writing this was I thought it would be hilarious if there was a scene where someone threatened to kill themselves and the only way by which they wouldn't kill themselves is if they got to suck Dwayne the Rock Johnson's dick. Now it's it sounds like that's something we're making up in the booth. I can assure you this is the finished movie we're talking about that went out to cinemas and DVDs. Um our favorite character from US Ident has kind of come out of the office, inserted herself into the real world. She's been communicating with Boxer on the phone and negotiated a rendezvous. Uh, during the middle of the day at Venice Beach. She has brought a firearm with her. She is in love with Boxer. She mistakenly thinks he is a character from his screenplay, which she has become obsessed with, so she keeps calling him the wrong name. And she is about to threaten her her own life, and the only out clause is for her to suck Dwayne The Rock Johnson's dick. 
He has reverted back to his natural acting state. We really want nervous fingers to keep holding the Bud Lights through this scene, but he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> and Justin Timberlake is also in this scene. This is a really magic bit of the movie, isn't it? He's he's got his cross here uh, on the situation. He's assessing what's happening. Dwayne is acting his little heart out, um, and he's about to come through in a clinch. Now he's going back to what I call uh this is WWE vintage rock. This is where he switches from nervous fragile character to showman. That's right. And so he lays on the charm, he gets that smooth voice we're all used to, very charismatic persona, and he's like, you know what? You wanna suck my dick? Let's do it. Let's get a hotel room together. But uh all is lost for his great plan to disarm the situation. Um, it tragically goes awry when JT shoots the woman who is armed with the high-powered yeah. sniper rifle. And I am still upset with Justin Timberlake for that. I wanted to see that scene through from the start to the end. Was that an improv as well? You didn't write that one? I absolutely didn't write that in. Justin Timberlake literally killed a person on set, and that's kind of why we managed to convince him to do all those extra bits of uh, work uh-huh. on the tail end of production is because I said, literally, JT... If you don't do this stuff for me, I'm going to leak word that you're a stone cold killer. And I'm actually breaking a non disclosure agreement I signed with him right now by saying this on the record. Oh, boy. But uh, I'm calling you out, JT. We're like only just after the halfway mark with this thing. Are you serious? <laughs> I am deadly serious. I mean, I've never been more serious. I am hot. I am bothered. I am confused. I feel like I'm in a goddamn fever dream watching back a movie I made a decade ago. This thing was a mistake. This movie? Yep. No, I don't think that's right. I think mistakes were made within the movie. I think this movie is a triumph. We got to call okay, a let's... bar poop deck. Yeah, we did. Well, that bar already existed. You just filmed in it. And I don't think you got permission. Where we are now, folks, is Sir Michelle Gellar's character, the entrepreneurial porn star <laughs> Kristen now, is filming a reality show with some of her friends. I don't even really get how this weaves into the fabric of what's happening, but she's used this as an opportunity to duck into the loose, uh, into the ladies, to drop off the blackmail tape into one of the neo-Marxists' various drop points that they've established around the city so that the character who is sort of the the analogous archetype of, uh, of uh, what's his name, the guy, Julian Assange, can grab it and put it online for mass distribution. I just hope that you're following along with me, folks. I hope you're still on, on the tracks with this. I don't think you need to be too worried about whether you are or whether you aren't following along because as I've assured you throughout the director's commentary and as I assured the 64 cinemas uh, of people who actually went along to see the film, um, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to catch all these balls. You're going to be super impressed. And I just feel like, I guess... Part of the reason I wanted to make this movie the way I did was I wanted to challenge the idea of what going to a movie is. I wanted to challenge the idea of what you can and can't get away with in watching a movie. And most of all, I wanted to give uh, the American and international cinema going public a chance to, 
I don't know. Just, so you had the Europeans do it. Yeah, and just take it, take a, take a few hours off. Yeah. To go in there, follow along when they so choose, not follow along when they so choose, and know that no matter what choice they make, it will not make one shred of difference. And I feel like I executed that for better and or worse. My vision was realized with this film. It's a pretty avant-garde way to telling a story. To, it's, to, as the storyteller, be bold-faced yeah. enough to say, if you're on board or not, it actually is the same. I would say it's that... It's a very postmodern way of... It's uh, a singular vision towards film filmmaking. Mm. And it's that sort of devil-may-care attitude that I try to carry with me I to mean, this day. I mean, what the fuck is this... <laughs> Fortuna, Look, is that his name? Yeah, Fortuna. What about him? How, you got a problem? You got a fucking problem with my character how guy? Does, how does Fortuna fit into the tapestry of this quilt? He's got a great name. He's got a great look. And sometimes when you're making a quilt, you got to sew patches on top of patches. That's why quilts are heavier in some places like, than others. We open with him. Yeah. And he doesn't seem that important to the DNA of the film. I, I, where are we now? We're in we're, US Ident. We're, we've got the head of the kind of pseudo NSA agency. The two I see. She's in her office and she's just watching like MTV videos. Look. I, <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson's back on screen doing the finger thing again. There's guns. There's action. There's Fatuna. What is he? What is his place in this? What is his role? Look, pretty much we just wanted to look. Uh, get a bunch of like confused looking shirtless dudes together, make an afternoon of it, you know? And that you did. Dwayne The Rock Johnson grabbing a beer from a, st- a bystander, downing it. Fortunio, that's his name. He was on the Baron's payroll all along, JT has announced. The funny thing is, this has taken such a steep change. He's He was about to fight someone. And then it's like JT's narration has informed him of what's actually happening with the plot, and he changes on it. Oh, he's like, oh, fuck, that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, our editors did the best they could with the footage we gave them, but yeah, sometimes those, it turned out Those high eight tapes do uh, not cut themselves When you're together. taking the long road home, you, you do have to take shortcuts, and that was a shortcut that worked out for the best. Now, Here, something I've always been interested in... Um, is whether or not this path, movie passed the Bechdel test? Yes. The answer is Yes. This uh, very much firmly squares with my feminist vision for the future, a future I haven't got to experience yet because I do not engage with any news media. But I like to imagine that... Um, I mean, would it, here's what I'm thinking. Would it maybe be helpful if I burned a couple of DVDs of CNN, I just feel BBC. so much time has passed between when I was last up to date with the news. to be done. Yeah. Okay. I mean... Uh, co- correct me if I'm wrong, but George W. Bush is currently the sitting president of the United States of America. Um, do you know what? In this booth? Yeah. Absolutely. Now we've got a news report returning us to the revelation before that a mega Zeppelin exists and is somehow pertinent to the world. Um, I mean, we've got the car fucking the other car briefly again. Honestly, um, I'll be honest. Can, can I be honest? Please. Even I am confused at this point, and I know I've been reassuring everyone that it's okay to be confused, but at this juncture, I would like to say not even I am comfortable with how confused I feel. Okay. What I like to do when I'm confused is take a step back and just describe what's happening. So just to give you a little insight, 
it's a f- montage. We're getting flashes of news cuts. LA is on fire. It's rioting. The Mega Zeppelin is launching. Um, the car is fucking another car. I think more than that, though, the the overwhelming and broader feeling that I suppose I did want to take out of this montage and want the audience to, if they so chose, take uh, out of this montage, is that we're building to a conclusion. Um, We're building to a sort of a grand final moment whereby all of the loose threads or balls uh, will be caught and tied up. And... I don't want you to get overexcited. Like, it is going to take a while for us to get to that conclusion. Well, according to my math, it's going to take at least another 40 minutes. But Rome wasn't built in a day, and Southland Tales was not <laughs> finished <laughs> on time or quickly. This scene here, I originally intended to just be. Maybe we should just take a, a, a second. Just a moment, okay? You and I? Yeah. Just a second. I don't know that we should. I just want to communicate to everyone that this was meant to be a very sexy romp between Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Mandy Moore. But um, I'm going to take a second. I'm just going to sit back in my chair for one moment okay. and try and regain my composure. Yeah, by all means. Have fun finding your composure, you pussy. So, as you can see, they really uh, started off pretty steamy, and I was getting very excited uh, behind the camera, as was Moby, who was making all sorts of unearthly guttural noises that actually wound up putting both of these actors off. And these are two of the most professional actors I've worked with. Uh, and the scene devolved into just more plot development. I mean, at some point in this movie, I just wanted to insert two people fucking just as a breather, a palate cleanser, a refresher. It's like eating an apple after you've had something and you want to try something else. Didn't work out. Uh, My producer has very kindly uh, opened a crack in the door so that the room we're in at least has some form of it, fresh air circulating. There's a lot of it's, CO2 in the room. Yeah, one of those I think, situations. I think it's affecting the movie-watching experience, to be honest. We only realise after the fact how much of a difference fresh air can make. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. The oxygen's starting to filter back into the brain. That blood's feeling a little bit healthier in my body, and we're back in I it. guess the uh, question... This is... This is Bo Hyde rejoining I, you I on have, this DVD commentary for you, Bo. Is Southland Tales? Um, you told me that this might be an opportunity for us to ramp up DVD sales to create a second wave of interest. Uh, maybe elevate this film from critical and box office dud into something of a cult favorite. Mm. Who exactly is the audience for this director's commentary? Who in their right fucking mind would demand of anyone, including the director and producer of this film? To revisit it. My original vision for the audience of this particular audio commentary, which we are releasing on HD DVD, was going to be an American audience aged 18 to 25 males who are interested in mescaline. Ah. It is a derivative of uh, cactus, I believe. Yeah, it it's is. It's a hallucinogenic. Yeah. And it is quite a powerful, uh, sort of a, almost a psychotropic substance, mind-altering. And 
this audio commentary, and actually my vision for the film as well, to a greater extent, was an accompaniment similar to a cheese and wine pairing. It's You've got your main course of mescaline. This film and this audio commentary on HD DVD was supposed to be what you pair it with. It's marvellous. Uh, We're on the Mega Zeppelin now, folks. Which is great news. Certainly, as the Zeppelin takes off, uh, the film comes into land. And we got Black Rebel Motorcycle Club to play the grand opening of the, the Mega Zeppelin. They weren't aware they were on a film set at all. These guys thought they were actually playing the opening of a Mega Zeppelin. And they became pretty irate when we told them that we wouldn't be taking off because no Mega Zeppelin had been constructed. Mm. Um yeah, a lot of upset, a lot of upset musicians on set that day. Not oh, to mention Moby, who was furious that there was anyone else on set. Mm. Uh, and if you listen very closely, you can hear Moby trying to drown out Black Rule Motorcycle Club. Luckily, we were able to salvage that in post. Mandy Moore, uh, an absolute vision, accompanying Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Who is there a better looking man in a suit? I would like to put forward our main leading man uh, is the potential next James Bond. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I do think Pierce Brosnan is taking the franchise in a very bold and exciting new direction. But I do think that once that, his yeah, time you've is almost, up... You've almost worn that DVD of GoldenEye out at this point, haven't you? Certainly, there are a few skips and a few scratches, yeah. um, but I can't fault the DVD technology for that. I guess I've just been mishandling the disc. Now, what did you think of um, Die Another Day? I thought Madonna did a bang-up job on the soundtrack. Uh-huh. Uh, that's certainly been playing on repeat on my Sony mini-disc, uh, and it's a great song oh, to run to. Oh, Sony mini-disc, <laughs> you say? Yeah, Sony do the best mini-disc players. They sure do. Um, and contrary to us taking a lot of money from Panasonic, who were a competing manufacturer, uh, sorry, are a competing manufacturer of that technology, I can't betray my heart and say that they make a better product. It's it's Sony or bust. A hundred percent. This uh, Serpentine... You're really being quite heavy-handed by putting a large snake tattoo on her back. Well, it was mostly for me... To remember. Because often I get confused with who is this beautiful woman who's yeah. smoking and walking around the set, and I see the snake on her back and be like, oh, that's uh, the character Serpentine that I wrote. Now we've put um, finger I mean, you did write this in the script, but I physically put these people in the mega zeppelin that's set. A, that's a uh, that was a goof. See that lady carrying the hors d'oeuvres? Yeah, she was actually working unit, and uh, oh, okay, all of these snacks were intended was... for me, the director of the film. I see, uh, and they wound up getting eaten by the. I was, Fucking I, pig dog extras. I was just going to draw attention to the fact that we, um, in what I would describe as a desperate plea for help in search of an end point to the movie, have put all of the characters in one place, which is the Mega Zeppelin, which is now taken off. Not a real Mega Zeppelin, if uh, Black Rule Motorcycle Club are listening to this. Wasn't <laughs> on the day, still isn't now, and I just want to be super clear about that. BRMC, you know we're huge fans, always will be, but... Uh, just well, we're sorry about that. Yeah. So, oh yeah, there's discussion of a handshake now between Mandy Moore and Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character Boxer. Um, she reveals that she's had a dream last night. There's oh. an interdimensional element to what's about to play out for the last breath of the film, the final stretch of the sprint marathon. 
And similar to a real sprint marathon at this point, you're dehydrated, you're hallucinating, you've lost your bearings. All you need to know is the finish line is in sight. Now, is the finish line an actual finish line to the race or is it your body giving out and you expiring midway through? This is the question. Choose your own path. That's right. It, It does not matter because both of them are forms of finishing. There is no shame and pushing your body and mind to its physical and mental limits and finding out where those limits are. Um, we've we've skipped over a few things that have happened in the film, and I apologize for that as we were digging into some of the What's um, funny details. What would you say is at play production. here, Bo? What are the stakes? I, I, just, I just want to maybe catch people up on the fact that the uh, perpetual energy machine created by Baron that's in the ocean using an unknown, though, kind of mentioned technology that may involve quantum mechanics and hydroelectricity don't interrupt this has which is also connected to a street drug that is smuggled out of the facility that makes the energy and distributes it wirelessly which shares the name with the electricity product itself which is fluid karma has also created an interdimensional rift in the fourth dimension which is time space in the surrounding bit of the ocean where the large structure is why has that happened well as far as this producer of the film can discern it's something to do with upsetting the ocean tides and has created some sort of interdimensional portal whereby sean william scott's character stifler who's playing a cop who's also got a brother who's a vietnam uh, sorry an iraq vet has traveled through Come back the other side. Can I just say this? Yeah. Uh, the only new piece of media I have engaged with uh, since I was cut off in 2007 has been a podcast called The Worst Idea of All Time. Yep. And this movie is quite literally what would happen if the two hosts of The Worst Idea of All Time got to make a movie themselves. I actually am a fan of that podcast myself, and I couldn't agree more. It has got all the constituent elements. Blockbuster superstar celebrities of yesteryear? Check. Pseudoscientific concepts not fully fleshed out, but added ad nauseum throughout the plot of the film? Check. Threats of suicidal blowjobs? Check, mate. <laughs> it is the makings of, um, obviously it wasn't a successful film in our hands, uh, but I think if you got all the same elements and gave it to not better, but just different hands, you may have had a different result at the box office, which we I cannot stress enough, was not a good result. Another uh, thread here whereby the two I see at the... US ident. US ident uh, and wife of Republican presidential nominee... Uh, is also fucking one of the dudes in singlets in a poncho because yeah. I, how can you not? I actually had a lot of sex with those uh, actors and extras. Did you? Nothing gets me rock hard quite like seeing a yellow singlet underneath a transparent It's such an plastic poncho. costume choice, isn't it? It's as if we ran out of money and the costume department was given $68.25 and said, how futuristic can you make 200 extras look with this amount of money, please? And they, and they said, came back with white singlets and ponchos. Yeah, and which said, was pretty much a- their way of saying not very. <laughs> this is about as good as it gets. 
Now what we have uh, Serpentine Dream Theory. More uh, characters, more actors explaining more plot. Uh, What I actually told them to do before I gave Oh my god, I forgot about this element. I'm sorry. Can I? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We've introduced another ball, everybody. This is important. I think this is shared both in the screenplay that Boxer has written down and is now being enacted in the real life of the film in a real life imitating art sort of style. Just going to close that door. We've got a lot of wildlife um, flying in here that's going to be biting us very soon. Uh, Just flying around the room to add some jeopardy to our HD DVD audio record. Let me just shut that that window. I'm really okay with the window. What I was going to say, just before you get too deep into this plot development, is I gave pretty explicit instructions to the characters and actors in this scene to start closing up some of those threads that we've opened. And what they wound up doing was opening up. And I feel like I couldn't have been much clearer in my direction to please can we start catching some of these balls, closing up some plot holes. They literally just started opening up more, throwing more in the air. Well, this is where the idea came from that the... Some of the effects from the interdimensional portal that's been opened by the perpetual motion machine, which is wirelessly distributing energy to the police state, is that it it has slowed down the rate of rotation of the Earth by a very small but perceivable amount, which has made people go crazy because humans have evolved to have a certain... This is... You wrote this, okay? Don't give me that look. People have evolved through the millennia that man has been on Earth to match their chemical composition in their brain to the rotation of the earth for some reason. Now, when we have upset in the world of this film, the speed at which the earth is rotating, that has caused people to go insane and start rioting chaotically, burning buildings down, lashing out. This is a plot point we have introduced in the last breath of the film. And one that I would introduce 10 times out of 10 if given the opportunity again. I might not have wanted the actors to do this, but I'm so glad they did because I do feel like while my focus was on closing everything up and trying to at least give some semblance of closure, that's not what a choose-your-own-adventure movie, both in production or uh, in execution, is about. It's not just for the audience to pick their own path. Oh, back to the fingers thing with the rock. I'm sorry. Just every time I see him well, on the monitor, yeah. it's... Yeah, for some reason, there's a lot of talk of suicide at this point, which is weird because what uh, Boxer has been introduced to is... For reasons not fully fleshed out in the world of the movie... A movie celebrity, which is Boxer, has been selected as the first person to throw through the interdimensional rift. They've experimented with monkeys. Now they're like, but monkeys don't work because monkeys' souls can't survive. Was that the passing through the interdimensional rift? That's what you put in the script. Yeah, exactly what I put in the script. That's great. So they they put Dwayne the Rock Johnson in for the sole reason that he's a celebrity, which uh, one of the same reason I put him in the movie. To be completely honest. Describes as irresist- it's an irresistible reason to throw him through the portal. So, I think the boxer that we have seen through the whole movie is the one that travelled back through the portal, and he's being introduced to a dead corpse of himself. 
which is really freaking. And him they're out. telling him that he killed himself. So yeah, he's which, responsible. But, well, they don't actually say that. They say, they say, they say nothing. They just say here's the past version of your body before, or like after it went through the portal, but not the new version of you. And then he said, "I would never commit suicide." But no one's offered that as a potential thing that's happened. He just says it, and then they all kind of run with it. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Can you please... I thought I could survive this, but can you please stop nitpicking my film? As a producer, I I just feel it's part of my role. I, I think... know we did complete it 10 years ago. No, it's it's okay. Obviously, and this critique probably been, would have been more apt during you've production. You've been carrying some of that energy with you. Uh Again, the boys are... <laughs> there's not a lot of point to what we're about to introduce to the story, but we just thought it would be visually interesting and give both of these guys something to do while we actually wrapped up the real end of the movie on a different set. Yeah, so we're no longer in the Zeppelin. Now we're on the ground. Sean William Scott as the cop, not his brother, who's the Iraq vet, has joined forces with the guy who was about to commit suicide in Venice Beach. He's trying to find his brother, but they've made a detour to an ATM. Well, they're going to Mexico. Yeah. Because they're just trying to get away from the actual production of the movie. Uh, pretty much anything to do with it. So, and- Hombre, who is trying to kill himself previously, who just calls everyone dog too much, tries to get money out. The ATM denies him. Sean William Scott comes up with the brilliant idea that they'll just steal the entire cash machine. And they do. They it do. Doesn't serve the plot. No. It what doesn't beca- help what becomes of that stolen ATM? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely not. You don't even see the cash from within it. No time to dig too much into that because what's this? A shiny new ball. Yes. My dear friend Richard Kelly has decided to put a bold dystopian version of the American National Anthem Star Spangled Banner, which I would describe in this version as a Star Spangled Banger, (laughs) into the film. It is dark. It is haunting. It's a little bit bluegrass as a result of yeah. the violins and fiddles you've put in there. And there is a woman with absurdly large breasts out on display and yeah. wearing a corset taking us home with this big number. All vital. I mean, we had Mandy Moore. Why no, didn't we get her to sing it? Because why would uh, the presidential nominee's daughter be singing the national anthem at an event like this? You've got me there. Good point, Richard Kelly, screenwriter and director of this fine film, hey, Southland Tales. Thanks a lot. I tell you what I did find pretty stressful is obviously we didn't have a mega Zeppelin there, but just the idea of fireworks going off very close to and around. The Staples Center? Uh, a mega Zeppelin. Oh, just the concept freaked you out, even though we added the mega Zeppelin in post. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of weird that, that you got the, freaked out That by was the, the idea most real the Zeppelin felt to me, is when I saw fireworks exploding around it. Look, at this point... Will you join me in the final line? The land of the free... And, and the, the home... main reason I inserted that national anthem was so that we could have a piece of action to cut against the breaking free of this ATM machine. And 
There was actually a statement I was making about how we are shackled to our bank accounts and by our bank accounts. We are limited by the resources we have or don't have. And I dream of a world where you can extract monetary value from singing the American National Anthem in a mega Zeppelin. You sound like you are running out of steam, good sir. Are you okay? Never. Do, would you like a little sip of water? Would that help? I got so much water over here. I'm going to drink all of it. Very good, Richard. You got to stay hydrated in this film. You got to stay. Sprint, <laughs> sprint marathons. The secret to them. You got to stay hydrated. So, we are now on the ground of downtown Los Angeles. While a mega zeppelin flies above our heads, civil unrest has gripped the city. There is looting. There is rioting. There are shots fired in the streets. An ATM is creating an absurd number of sparks. We cut to the interior of the Mega Zeppelin where Dwayne The Rock Johnson is doing the longest take of the finger tapping motion we have seen yet in the well, film. Well, I'll tell you why we kept that in. And that is because at this point we realised, you know what, he's probably going to hold the, like keep this up right to the end. And we owe it to him, ourselves, as filmmakers who chose to work with him and our audience to put in the best and longest take of this action that we can. So help me God, I don't care what happens around it. I just want it to be in the film. I want evidence of what we we're working with and against in our I, quest to finish this on time and deliver a salvageable product. I had a bet with you. I had a bet with you when you sent me the script to this. I said, I bet you, you cannot make Dwayne The Rock Johnson say on camera, who did the Baron hire to kidnap me and who drove me through the time rift? And you know what? I lost that bet because yeah. that just happened. That's right. In this movie we made together. Well, and as sure as my name is Bo Hyde, I got to put my hand up and say I was wrong. Yeah, Bo, and I got to tell you, you keep taking, I understand, uh, from other people who work in cinema, these sorts of bets with scriptwriters and directors whereby you say, I'll bet you they won't say that. Yeah, and it's a line that's often been written down in the script and is, uh, you know, almost definitely going to be delivered by the actor. I mean, beyond investing a lot of your personal finances into this film, which was, I'm willing to acknowledge, not a box office success, if you insist on making bets against certainties every film you work on, it's no wonder you wind up in a little financial strife. Oh. We're... Who's Terry? So, I mean, okay, I'm going to put something to you, Richard. That moment we just experienced with someone on the phone saying, Terry, you've gone too far. Did she forget that we gave Terry O'Sherry a character name in this film and she's reverted to her actor's, her real given name? Well, no, because Terry O'Sherry has improvised her own death. And so that phone call was from earlier to be like, oh. you've gone too far, we need you for the rest oh, of the Terry's movie. Oh, Terry's a different person. Okay. Very good. Serpentine... And Dwayne The Rock Johnson are now locked in a very intense sexual conversation and are about to make out. She's called him a pimp. Yeah, the, and announced that's that another, pimps don't commit suicide. That's another thing that has been in this movie from the start to finish. Mm. And it's one that, watching it back, I don't even know where my head was at when I wrote it in, but I had this you idea... You were listening to a lot of Dr. Dre at the time. pimps don't commit suicide, and it seemed important. Yeah, yeah, you... 
I mean, it's in it three times. We've got it in the picture said by multiple different characters as if it's some sort of catchphrase for the movie. Oh, for fuck's seems- sake, the Sean William Scotts haven't even started <laughs> holding hands yet. And it seems tonally very disparate from the rest of the sci-fi Do you know rock. how long they're holding hands for? It's pretty oh, much the rest of the movie. That's a good point. Serpentine's asking The Rock if he shook hands with his corpse. Uh, the Rock has announced that the fourth dimension will collapse upon itself. If he does, they're kissing in the Mega Zeppelin. He pushes her away. I've just reverted to just... Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes... You can see this stuff happening for yourself if you're watching along. Sometimes and if you're not... the best way of explaining just how real something is is by painting a literal vision of what's in front of my eyes because it's 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 hard for me to believe it's just just incredible i uh i couldn't i couldn't actually tell you and it's a credit to the professionalism of the crew and all the actors on set what i was trying to achieve at this point and the fact that everyone showed up to work Went through the paces of saying their lines, performing against each other, committing it to camera, committing it to microphones, is a real testament to their desire to both finish the project and get their paychecks. Because yeah. honestly, I, I cannot imagine what they were thinking they were doing at this oh, point. I can set. tell you because unlike you, I was not on a drug binge at the time and morale was at an all-time low. Uh, like all films that everyone shoots in Hollywood. This was done chron- chronologically. Of course. We were getting to the final There's days no of shooting. There's no other way. <laughs> and everyone just kept saying, there is so much to wrap up. There are so many questions to answer. How is it that Richard Kelly continues to a- ask questions? And confound audiences. Yeah. And, and not complete any of these questions that have been previously asked. We've got two Sean William Scotts now. Count it. Two Stiflers. It's like being back at the MTV Awards where they did that Matrix parody, which I'm not sure if... Yeah, you will be familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen that. From Reloaded, which came out in 04 uh, on DVD. My good friends, uh, the Wachowski sisters. Yeah. Yeah. I got them in as, an, uh, as advisors on this on this script. Did you really? They advised me not to make How the film. How did you find out that they're both now women? <laughs> That come to you on some sort of DVD? No, uh, I'm very close friends with them. They told me. Oh, I see. They told me that. Have they not informed you of any like elections happening or news? We try to keep politics out of it. Does the name Barack Obama mean a thing to you? Uh, is that a- another language? Oh, uh, we don't need to get into that. Sean William Scott is in a dumpster. Another Sean William Scott has just found him. He's glowing from the hand. He's been shot. He's dying. They're in an ice cream truck, and now they're shaking hands. The fourth dimension is about to collapse upon itself. But this sequence is a lot longer than you would think it should be. Oh, yeah. If anyone is watching along with the director's commentary and has a remote that controls their DVD player, I could recommend maybe fast-forwarding or at least watching the rest of this movie in one and a half or two times speed because pretty much what we're waiting for is that guy from before who loves saying the word dog to fire a missile into the mega zeppelin. And then that God, solves... spoil the picture for me, why don't you? Solves all of our problems because Spoiler once alert. all of the characters you've introduced are dead, you no longer have to address any of the the plots pertaining to those characters. I mean, 
you decided in all your wisdom to take this opportunity as we're just approaching the final bit to almost make another music video. I, I said it before and I'll say it again. This film is like if someone hit Baz Luhrmann in the head with a heavy shovel and then made him direct immediately after suffering the contusion. Yeah. Um, that is, funnily enough, what I was trying to channel. And so to do that, uh, a lot of the time on set, I had Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann, who you will know from Strictly Ballroom, yeah. special DVD so, release. And Moulin Rouge. I had Baz Luhrmann. And Romeo yeah, and Juliet. I had him well. in a trailer, and I'd go in there, and I'd whack him across the head with the shovel. Then yeah. I'd show him the next page of script, and I'd say, Baz, what should I do? And yeah. I would follow his instructions to the letter. You are panicked. I'm sorry. Everything we have just been watching for the last two hours, I'll remind you, two hours and eight minutes is as a result of Baz Luhrmann's direction via proxy. It was my directorial decision to concuss and use Baz as an advisor. So it is still my directorial decision making that is on display right now. But in essence, yes, uh, there was a certain element of collaboration between myself and Baz. Oh, fuck. Fucking hell. I mean, at this point, we're not even trying to wrap up. This uh, Here's what gets me about this bit of the film that you and I have made. An unspeakable number of balls in the air that we've been trying to juggle. And this is the point where we should be grabbing as many of them as we can and safely placing them on the ground for our audience in some sort of cohesive, organized way and yet what we're doing is throwing all of the balls in the air and walking away and having a slow dance where there is no plot being resolved for good reason there is there is no resolution being executed there are no questions being answered we've just walked away from the balls and the balls are then going to fall onto the ground and break everything i could not could not stop thinking about cruel intentions when we were shooting this scene and so if anything Slip through the cracks. What they did at the end of Cruel Intentions, Richard, if I may remind you, is did they have a song? Yes, they did. Yeah. But they also wrapped up what was happening with a voiceover, and they showed you through montage what was happening to those. Look, those I could awful, no longer see uh, Kristen now or Sarah Michelle Gellar. All I could see was Catherine Myrtle, uh, the sort of sultry villain of antagonist? Cruel Intentions. Is she an antagonist? An yeah, anti-hero, say, perhaps. No, I wouldn't call her an anti-hero. She's not good enough. i call her an antagonist. She is good enough. But let's not quibble. Um, because I thought it was weird that the idea she was on cocaine was meant to sully her reputation at the end of that film. It's like, Look, let's not get into that cruel intentions territory. No, cocaine. Ah. Whatever. This scene also, I was hoping that they'd have sex, but they didn't. I was pissed off. Can I just commend you on uh, so gracefully segueing out of a conversation about drug abuse with whatever? It wasn't about drug abuse. It was about the characterization of Catherine and Cruel Intentions. That's what it was about. And the fact that you don't want to engage with me in this conversation now, nor did you 10 years ago, and we were shooting this climactic final scene, it kind of goes some way to telling me why... Parts of this movie don't feel like we were pulling together. I am so glad I took my shoes off at the beginning of this record of this HD DVD. Can I just commentary. say, I'm very glad I decided to record the director's commentary in activewear because I am hot I and steaming. I am sweating bullets in this booth. Oh, boy. And so now, 
That's uh Oh boy, okay. Oh boy, okay. Alright, here's what's happening now. We're in the Mega Zeppelin. The musical sequence with dancing with Sir Michelle Geller has concluded because Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character Boxer has pulled out a gun, threatened everyone because he has had a vision of the future. He has directed everyone to move into the front of the Zeppelin, which isn't going to save them anyway, but let's not pay too much attention to that. Baron is trying to quell the discontent and unrest in the room by saying, don't worry, everything's fine. Everyone stay partying, stay where you are. We've cut to the two Sean William Scotts arguing with each other in front of what is obviously just a big flat screen TV with a screensaver on it, which is supposed to depict the interdimensional rift while they're on a flipped over ice cream truck being suspended in the air seemingly by the power of their own handshake on top of the floating ice cream truck which was also a front for a whip an arms dealer That's earlier right. homeboy who keeps Paid saying for dog by all the, the anti sugar lobby <laughs> he's he's obtained a bazooka which was in the car before and he's on top of the vehicle Fixing the sights squarely upon the mega Zeppelin laden seen the, with all of our characters in the have film. Have you seen the trailer for this film? <laughs> Not in your life. I feel like we should definitely watch that. Up that seems the like a, commentary. a fun idea to see what the editors did with that. <laughs> How can you communicate what is this movie in a minute and a half to two minutes I don't and even, a half? You couldn't even scratch the surface of the tone, of the tone of subtleties that we've put forward in this cinematic masterpiece. It's like when you watch this in the Zeppelin, it's literally like everyone in the Zeppelin is also waiting for the movie to end. Like they're all just standing there with nothing to do, Stifler's, no idea how to resolve any of the conflict that's been introduced. Quite rightly, one of the Stiflers has a gun to his head the entire <laughs> sequence, as if to say, if you don't end this, I will. And now, sweet relief. He is homeboy with the bazooka. Um, he's getting ready. He's lining up the shot. I'd... So are the fireworks for the election, uh, is that what's just happened? Because the general election's sort of been permeating the, the timeline. There's line. two events on. There's the launch of the Mega Zeppelin and some sort of uh, charity concert at the Staples Centre, which are happening side by side. What? Nothing's happening at the Staples Centre. That's the launch of the Mega Zeppelin. No, no, this, there's, a, there's an event next to the launch of the Mega Zeppelin. The Mega so there's a riot and a charity event and the Mega Zeppelin That's and right. a general election all happening on the same Welcome night. to Los Angeles. I'm sorry City if you Angels. can't handle the amount of cultural activities that are happening at any one time. Um, our announcer, who is no longer JT, but we've just inserted a Voice of God character has announced in the concluding moments of the film, no one sucks a dick like Krista now. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, we're seeing from behind wearing a crisp white shirt, has a bloodstain of Jesus appear on his back, like some sort of stigmata spontaneously occurring as the bazooka shot is fired. Homeboy throws his rocket launcher into the streets below. Before wiping its fingerprints off, his fingerprints off it. Well, he's about to kill himself. Yeah. But his legacy will forever be tarnished by the fact he fired a rocket into a... Can you imagine trying to explain as an alibi? They're like, hey, we're pretty sure... There's a great scene with Janine Garofalo here at the end. Oh, my God. She was in the car netter and got cut out entirely from the film except for one shot. That is the only conceivable way I can see that we got away with putting her her name on the poster and having her in for, I'm not kidding, about 50 frames of the movie. It's almost definitely exactly what happened. 
uh, homeboy's just killed himself. I was going to say before, though, can you imagine trying to use as an alibi? Um, it wasn't me that shot the Zeppelin. I was hanging out in a floating ice cream truck while an interdimensional portal was being opened up by two Sean William Scotts. Yeah, I, I feel like at that point, the conversation's much bigger than, you know, the crime that's been committed, but it's also like... Don't touch the equipment. This has been falling off for the last hour and 10 oh, minutes. Good. I've been holding it up with my left hand. Well, I wonder what that's going to sound like. <laughs> Probably not good. Oh, really? Maybe. I've been holding I have it to say, pretty steady. These sound boots, they're sweaty, they're hot, and they're a mystery, just like this film. <laughs> oh. And then we sort of decided... We're, we're back to the religious references, aren't we? Yeah, take some of JT's... Uh, sort of religious audio and just put that over the end to try and create a false sense of closure or finality. Um, but the final line of the film is something that I would like to not paraphrase. I want to give it to you verbatim. He is a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide. That is JT's audio track that he's put as the final words uttered in the film while JT opens an interdimensional uh, portal. And that's our movie, folks. Oh, my God. That is Southland Tales. I am so grateful to those of you who are still with us for revisiting what was a very creatively challenging uh, and rewarding time in my life. With a little Not dis- financially, that's no, for No, 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 sure. but with a little bit of distance between making the movie and seeing it back now, I feel like I'm sort of finally willing to understand some of the criticism that was leveled at at me for the scope of ambition. My name's Bo Hyde. I've been the um, producer and your co-pilot on this HD DVD audio commentary journey. My name is Robert Kelly. Um, and yeah, look, thank you, so, thank you so much for joining us. I am so exhausted. You've been sprinting for two and a half hours. I'm not surprised. We'll see all of you in the next uh, part of our audio installments. And in the meantime, just look after yourselves out there. Stay hydrated and don't go shaking hands with yourself if your other self has fallen through a time rift. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.